Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Well, there you go. That's more like it. Good morning, everybody. I'm Glenn Macnow. Good morning, Mike Sealski. Good morning, Mr. Macnow. There we go. All good with you? Everything is well. Looking forward to the weekend. Uh, yes, and everything was well yesterday uh, down at Citizens Bank Park, the Ashburn Alley. 45,000 people there screaming as they raise the flagpole. And who gets to do it? Bryce Harper coming off of Tommy John surgery and Reese Hoskins <laughs> fresh off of ACL surgery, leaning on a crutch uh, with his um, brace over his left leg. You know what it was like? You know that old Spirit of 76 painting with the, the fife and the drummer yeah. and they're limping around with the crutch? That's <laughs> <laughs> what it was like, man. The Phillies are on crutches. Yeah, remember 2022. It yeah. was wonderful when <laughs> our stars could walk. Had the flag. It was 2022 flag. Yeah. Anyway, they play. They win. The game uh, in the seventh, you heard JT Real Muto. By the way, my favorite of these Phillies. Do you have a favorite player on this team? I know you're a grizzled sports columnist, you know, like Ray. <laughs> not a fan, but you have a you can have a favorite player. I I like a number of guys on this team. Just the the little bit I was around them last year during the the postseason in particular. I like JT. I like Schwarber. Kyle Schwarber's you know mm-hmm. pretty pretty real guy. Yeah. Um, I was disappointed to see uh, Reese Hoskins. Suffer that injury because he's been a pretty good soldier and yeah. a pretty a pretty good forward facing guy for a team that went through hard times when he got here. Very much agree. Very uh, much agree. Doing well. So. so JT hits the home run, four hundred and forty eight feet. It, it was a shot into the stands. One inning later, Edmundo Sosa pinch hits, uh, swings at the first pitch, seventy eight mile hour slider, gets that uh, three hundred and ninety four foot home run, and they win. And they win. By the way, one other thing on JT. I know the bases are bigger. I know stolen bases are, like, already double what they Mm -hmm. were last year. Not by him, my man. I I love the fact that he bounced that throw on purpose. I love that he does that. I think it's smart. It allows him to release the ball faster uh, when he's making the throw. And I think in some situations the ball picks up speed when it skims off the grass like that. So he is – he is just terrific as a defensive catcher. And Phillies fans get the celebration they deserve. One day late, but that's okay. Zach Wheeler, not bad. Bullpen fine. doesn't blow it. Mm. Yeah. Look, if this if this were June 20th, we'd be saying, okay, they beat the Reds in a, in a manner that they should beat the Reds, and that's all good. So, Mike Sielski, is all right with the world? 
I think all is getting a little bit better with the world <laughs> after a one in five start. Um, yeah. yeah. Is all right with the world? No. It can't possibly be all right with the world for the very reason you said, Glenn. There was Bryce Harper, not able to play yet. There was Reese Hoskins, not playing any time this season in all likelihood. There are other injuries. There are issues for this team to sort out, and they're in a really good division. But it's an opportunity like this that they've got to take advantage of. The Reds are not very good. You're at home. You tend to beat the Reds at home in recent years. You beat up on them pretty well. I think um, Tom McCarthy gave out a stat yesterday during the telecast that the the Reds are, I don't know if it's won three series of the last 19 they've mm-hmm. faced mm-hmm. against the Phillies, something along those lines. So beat up on these teams, and then uh, hopefully you can come around against teams like the Mets and the Braves. I do like the Reds young pitching. The kid Hunter Green yesterday, Ooh. he didn't have a wow. lot of control at times, but he can throw it, and Lodolo is good. They got, they got nice young pitching. Last Sunday when they were 0-3, Jody Mack and I did the Relax, the Sky Isn't Falling show. So uh, okay. I, I don't want to backtrack on that and say that the sky is falling. But I will tell you that I do, I'm worried now. They have so many injuries right now. Um, it, the hits just keep coming. Hoskins is out for the season. Mm-hmm. Bryce Harper took batting practice. I think everybody's actually really encouraged, but he's at least a month away right. for Lucky. Yeah. Okay. Um. The guy who was supposed to help us withstand their laws, Derek Hall, he's now out with the torn ligament in his thumb. We're not going to see him until, what, six, eight weeks? At least, yeah. Okay. Um, So you're down three power hitters from the start. Mm -hmm. You're down Ranger Suarez. I don't know. It's like it's not serious, but I'm not hearing anything. No, nothing. No, they're they're not saying much of anything. All right, Andrew Painter, who was the big sensation for about three days in spring training, he quietly went on the 60 day list. Yes, I bet you a quarter that we're not going to see him on the Phillies this year. I would not take that bet. I agree with you. Okay, I would be stunned if he pitched this season. So my question is this, and I'm not saying that I believe it, but I will tell you that it crosses my mind. Okay. Could this be that cursed season? Could this be that? And I, it's, I'm really not trying to be the hot take guy because I think people know I'm not. So mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm just telling you that in in the recesses of my mind, I do have Eagles 2005 mm-hmm. Super Bowl. They go to the 2004 Super Bowl. Everything is going to be great. It's going to be a dynasty for so long. 2005. Right. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Those I mean, 90s they, Flyers teams. There was always a season when this was going to be the season, and then blah, come right. the playoffs. There's even a little bit of that after the uh, uh, Eagles 27, Super, 2017 Super Bowl. The next year they went 9-8. and eight. Remember, it got yeah. very kind of rough. And, yep. But they got to the playoffs. They they beat the Bears, the double-doink yes. game. and then lost to the Saints. Lost to the Saints. Alshon Jeffrey can't hold the pass. Yeah. Okay. Does it cross your mind? A little bit, yeah, because of the toll that clearly that postseason run, at least early on, has taken. Uh, on the pitching staff, I think, uh, looking at Aaron Nola and, and Zach Wheeler in their first starts, it's going to take some adjustment. And the other thing you have to remember, Glenn, is, and I'm not saying you specifically, I'm yeah, yeah. saying people as a whole have to remember, is that that run, that postseason run that the Phillies went on, was a surprise. They were the last team to get in the playoffs. Uh, they were the last wild card team in the National League. And so the idea that the postseason now just becomes a thing for this team as it was from, say, 2007 through 2011 is not necessarily so. Yeah. They're in a really good division. 
The Braves were better than them last year for the entirety of the regular season. The Mets were better than them last season for the entirety of the regular season. It just so happened that when you have guys like Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler at the top of your rotation and you start hitting the way that they their power guys hit, in the postseason, you can win series. Yeah, and Suarez had a couple of magical starts through the end. Yeah, yeah. You're right in that. We shouldn't take it for we, granted. We can't take it that it's a perennial thing all right. of a sudden because they made it last year. We were used to it becoming a perennial thing off of that. Hey, they're good for this run. Listen, they went into two months ago. They had the best freaking lineup in the National League. Yeah. And now it's like, you know, you keep losing body parts. It's like uh, Monty Python. Uh, oh, the – um. The, the knight, whatever. Yeah, yeah, give me the knight who keeps losing parts of his body, Dan Wilson. You know what I'm talking about? Not the Vegas. Do you? No, I, this isn't my Holy Grail. Yeah. Okay, Holy Grail. Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And knight. You'll yeah. find it. Yeah. Knight with a K. You'll find it. <laughs> well, look, Len, what they need. It's just a flesh wound. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what they need is a little bit of what they got yesterday. They need more of what they got yesterday from a guy like Nick Castellanos. They yeah. can't afford to have him have another career worst season. Yeah. Uh, Schwarber hasn't started hitting yet. He's hitting, what, 154, something like that. He's hit a couple of home runs, but he's not driving the ball with power consistently yet. Um, Turner's hitting, Trey Turner's hitting every game. Uh, every game. Doing what he's supposed to be and doing. by the way, very quietly, Bryson Stott's got to hit every game. Yeah. Nobody's talking about Bryson Stott. I, right. I'm, I'm happy with the stouter. Right. And the pitching will sort itself out. I think. I don't okay. think the bullpen is this bad. I don't think no right, Quick question. 215-592-9494. We'll go to the phones in, in one second here. Um, now that you have lost Derek Hall for mm-hmm. a while and you don't have Reese Hoskins and you don't really have a first baseman, and yesterday you brought up Roger Clemens' kid. Yep. So Roger in the, up there in the box getting all Goodness excited. Goodness gracious, Roger was in, is in the box yeah. with John Middleton. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, somewhere Susan Waldman was losing her mind. That's who you were doing. Yeah. Trying to figure don't you remember that that clip when he? I do now. Yeah. Yes, your Susan Waldman is not your strongest impersonation, that's okay. but that's that's, right. that's okay. I'm working on it. Um, I think he walked his first time up, right? Yeah. Okay. That's nice. That's my first at bat. Sure. Uh, and I don't know how good Cody Clemens is, but I tend to think probably not. Um, I think today the plan is to play Bohm at first and Sosa at third. Sosa, by the way. Rapidly moving up the charts among my favorite players, they love him. I think he's actually really. He, I think he could be really good. They, Dave Dombrowski went out and got him last year, not to just be a fill the gap kind of guy. They thought that there was something untapped in him, uh, and that he was a growing, developing player. And if I were them, if I were the Phillies, I would do that more often. What they're going to do today, I would play Bohm at first more often to get Sosa into the lineup to really see what you have with him. Mm-hmm. I, well, I would too, and that's what they're doing today. Uh, so we we shall see. Um, all right, let me uh, let me grab a call here. Okay, if I can get this to work. There we go. Kevin in Havertown is with us. Hello, Kevin. Kevin in Havertown Kevin? is. Kevin in Havertown is not with us. So well, uh, I was so eagerly anticipating what Kevin was going to say. Oh, there's a lot going on in Havertown right now. Yeah. <laughs> you would know. I, I would know. All right, I'm going to uh, throw something else here into the mix. In that case, right from the start of the show, because this is the WIP debate of the month mm-hmm. and will continue to gain momentum between now and April 27th, which is the Thursday, which is the first round of the draft, which I – can't wait for. I always get to uh, be the MC, the host, the, uh, when we do the uh, the draft party down um, at um, Novacare. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, actually, I guess we do with the stadium now, and hundreds of people come, sometimes thousands of people come, and they get really excited sometimes. I I will never understand this, but God bless them. Well, you understand, last year, when they make the trade, yeah, right? Yeah. And all of a sudden, it's like the Eagles are up, Tennessee is up on the board, Tennessee has traded its A.J. Brown, with Tennessee, whatever they make the trade, mm-hmm. all of a sudden the Eagles acquire AJ Brown. Brown. That yeah. play, you understand why people? No, I get nuts. that. I get that. I I, I think I'm great. talking. The energy I, was great. I'm talking more about um, the way that people throw themselves into studying the draft oh. and gearing up for the draft yeah, yeah, yeah. and all of that. Okay, that that's more of what I saying. understand. And everybody's an expert, but whatever. The big debate around these parts and around the entire town is whether the Eagles should consider drafting B. John Robinson, the terrific running back out of Texas, with the 10th pick of the draft. Uh, he would be the first running back picked, and do you do it? Mm. All right, let's just uh, real quick take a straw poll. Mike Sielski says, no, right. not in a million right. years. Dan Wilson says, I'm not taking a running back at 10. All right, Glenn Mack now, the senior and smartest among the three of us, says, <laughs> yes, I would. Now, I'm not saying you have to. To me, mm-hmm. it's not uh, Dijon, Bijan, Dijon, Dijon, <laughs> Bij- Bijan. You're taking or mustard bust. at ten, yeah, right? Yes. Yeah, it's not Bijan or bust. But here, here's my thought. And I knew you'd be opposed. I knew Dan Wilson would fall. You just work with Eskin for a few hours. You fall right into like. <laughs> yeah, he's totally swung me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. you running back. Yeah, I know. Okay, but here's the thing. They should take Connor David. Yeah. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> You win with offense these days in the NFL. And Jeff Lurie said it at the owners' meetings. You have to have you have to have a good defense, but it's more important you can't stop a dynamic offense. So, let me start with that premise. I don't think they need an offensive lineman. They've drafted him in the second round the last two years. They are obviously set at quarterback. They are set at wide receiver. Uh, they spent first-rounders in the last two years for wide receivers. Used to be people would say, you don't take a wide receiver, mm. right? Okay, well, guess what? Now you do. Now you do, and it's paid off for them. They clearly don't need to draft a tight end. If they draft an edge rusher, I'm great. Mm-hmm. That's you know, I'm not going to say it's wrong. I think it's fine. Uh, they're not going to draft a linebacker, right? The, right. the earth would spin off its <laughs> axis if they did. Axis. Uh, they just re-signed both cornerbacks, both elite players, you're going to draft a cornerback who's not going to play for you this year? Yeah. Well, I'll get back to you. Okay. A safety? Yeah, I'd be fine with a safety, but I don't think there is one to do that, and I don't think that's in their mind either that they would draft a safety that early. Uh, they spent the 13th pick last year on Jordan Davis. Maybe they draft another defensive tackle. Again, that wouldn't I wouldn't mm-hmm. say it's wrong, but I don't know. So, Mike, they lost Miles Sanders. Mm-hmm. I was in Encouraged by Kenny Gainwell, but I, I don't think he's ever going to be an elite running back. Uh, they drafted Rashad Penny, injury prone, and they guaranteed him, by the way, just $600,000, half of what they guaranteed Boston Scott. Mm-hmm. So maybe that tells you how much they're going to count on him right. moving ahead. If if you were to draft Bijan Robinson, running backs have a shorter lifespan. We all know that. Mm-hmm. To me, four or five elite years is worth it. Are the Cowboys sorry they drafted Zach El- uh, Zeke Elliott? I don't think so. Um, they used the fourth overall pick on him seven years ago. They got five great years. Mm-hmm. 
The reasons they did not win are not because of Zeke Elliott. The reason they didn't win is, well, a lot of the GM and the coach and all that stuff. But that was worth it. I know you can find a running back anywhere, but you also can miss on a running back anywhere. I think it's a big need for this team. I think if you added that to this offense, dynamic, unstoppable, Super Bowl, thank you. The prosecution rests. Yeah, I couldn't disagree more. <laughs> I couldn't disagree more. I think it's an it's a misallocation of resources. Look, um, first things first, there has not been, and I, I have to shout out my colleague David Murphy at the Inquirer for this stat, there has not been a team that has won the Super Bowl with a running back it drafted in the first 25 picks since 2009, and that was the New Orleans Saints with Reggie Bush, who was a very good running back but not exactly the centerpiece of that team. That's number one. Number two, I would have no less issue with taking Robinson with the 30th pick if the Eagles still have that. I think with the 10th pick, you can't use a pick that high or shouldn't use a pick that high on a player who, as you said, in the best-case scenario, you're only going to get four or five really great years out of him. Uh, Consider Lane Johnson. Consider Brandon Graham. Those were top 10, top 15 picks, and those guys are still playing 9, 10, 12 years that's the kind of return you want in, on an investment like that. And, yeah, Zeke Elliott was a great player for five years. Uh, Zeke Elliott's also the outlier when it comes to first-round running backs. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs just won the Super Bowl last year. The, running, the last time they took a running back in the first round was in 2020. They took Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Mm-hmm. Wasn't even active for the Super Bowl. He's got he's, got, he's, got benched for Isaiah Pacheco. Yeah. Um, the point being, you can find – very good, perfectly serviceable running backs in the fifth, sixth, seventh rounds uh-huh. of a draft. Yeah. So go draft a lineman, a cornerback, a player who you don't necessarily need to have help you this season. I think that's one of the well, one of the issues I have is I'm not drafting for right now. I'm drafting the best player available for down the I'm drafting for right now because I have a Super Bowl team. I'm drafting for right now because... But you don't. I don't have a Super Bowl No, every, I don't? Every NFL season is its own entity. You don't okay. necessarily know I, you have a Super Bowl uh, team. Fine. I am drafting for right now because I believe I have one of the five best teams in the NFL with an outstanding chance to return to the Super Bowl if people stay healthy this year. Does that work for you? You might be one of those teams, yeah. Well, I would think I am. Well, I mean, you have to... Listen, you have to assess... The same way you're assessing your strengths and your weaknesses mm-hmm. and what you got, I'm assessing the overall uh, quality of my team, which I think is one of the best. By the way, in a pretty weak NFC, what is still sure. a weak NFC. Sure. Well, the Cowboys got better, but whatever. It's still a weak NFC. I want to go back to the Super Bowl. So I want to help my team right now. I don't want to take a guy who is going to sit on my bench for two years while I'm close because I want to push myself over that finish line. Mike. We were leading. We. It's not we. I don't do we. <laughs> they were leading in the third mm-hmm. quarter in February, and we were thinking about a parade, and it didn't happen. So mm-hmm. I want to make this team better right now. Again, it doesn't have to be a running back, but a running back can really do that. The reason teams haven't gotten to Super Bowls that draft running backs early is because they're just bad teams. It was a mistake for the Giants who had bigger needs to draft, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, four, Saquon Barkley. Thank you. Saquon Barkley four or five years ago because they had bigger needs. The Eagles right now have the luxury of having like 
not this glaring hole that they have to draft. So let's get somebody who can help us win right now. But Glenn, the reason those team part of the reason those teams are bad is because they draft running backs in the first round. Go ask somebody in Pittsburgh why the Steelers have sloughed off in the last few years. It's because they used a first round pick on Najee Harris. Yeah. And he's not very good. Yeah. Well, because he, he's not very good. But if you draft even, a guy who's not good, it doesn't work. I mean, you draft even, a, if you draft if, a bad quarter, it's it's not a bad idea to draft a quarterback early, right? Of course not, because right. quarterback is a much more valuable position right. than running back. But if he's Ryan Leaf, it doesn't work. So the argument of he's not good is is to me a separate argument because you just you can draft good and bad players. We got to take a break. Uh, we'll, we'll come back. Yeah. We'll continue this okay. debate. This is fun because we disagree. For once. Yeah. It's it's a rare thing. Uh, And we'll take your calls. 215-592-9494 with Mike Sealski. I'm Glenn Mack. And by the way, coming up on the show, uh, a couple of things. Uh, At 11 o'clock, we're going to talk. Dan Hilford is actually coming into the studio. We're going to clean this place up. He is the (laughs) uh, new CEO of uh, Comcast Spectacore, meaning he's in charge of the Flyers. Mm -hmm. They want to rebuild the Flyers. He's the guy. You probably don't know him, probably never heard him. We're going to ask him about his plans to get the dry rot out of that franchise. Also, of course, as you know, they are at odds with the Sixers over the need for a new arena. So we'll talk a little bit about that. That's coming up. We want your calls all day. 215-592-9494. Mike Sealski, Glenn Macnow on 94 WIP. Mike Sealski, Glenn Macnow, 94 WIP. Let's grab a call and see what John Amanionk has to think about the draft. Hello, John. Hey, Glenn. What's going on, buddy? We're good, pal. Good. Uh, just calling about the draft. I know there's a – I don't think you'll drift down to 10, but if Jalen Carter drops down there, I mean, I think we should, we should take him. I know he had some issues with a fatal car crash and stuff, but remember when we took him a mold up one year, Warren Sapp, they, they didn't pick him because he was tested positive for marijuana. It's like, come on, you know, you got to take a chance. Yeah, uh, look, the Eagles have a pretty good track record uh, when it comes to – Figuring out whether a guy is worth taking a chance on. Um, yeah. I don't know enough about Chalen Carter, John, to know whether he's worth taking a chance like that. Uh, you certainly think about it. You know who entirely this relies on? Dom. Yep. Big Dom. You know who Big Dom is, John? No, I don't. Tell him, Mike. So Dom is the Eagles' head of security. Uh, he's the big guy you see standing next to... Nick Sirianni and Jeffrey Lurie. Andy Reid. Andy Reid. He knows where all the bodies are buried. He does all the background work on anybody who's going to come in and out of the NovaCare complex. And if he gives you the green light, then that's one thing. If he doesn't, that's something else. Yeah. So my my answer, John, on okay. on Carter is I want to know everything. If he let me put it this way, if he falls to ten, that means there is obviously a character issue because nine teams will have passed right. on a guy who might be the best player in the draft. So it does need, and as as Mike explained, Big Dom is Dom is the guy who they rely on for all this stuff. I'm sure Dom has interviewed his high school friends, his mom, his neighbors, anybody who ever worked, who oh, ever yeah. worked for everything. And that's where it goes. And if Dom gives the check, yes, I would trust that enough to do it. Otherwise, I ain't taking that chance. Okay. I'm but it's t- the talent is there. There's no question about it. So I, I somebody's going to take that risk. Sure. And, and we've seen this stuff. Remember Laramie Tunsil? Oh, gosh, yeah. The year of the draft. And as the draft begins, somebody drops a video of him with a gas mask mm-hmm. smoking pot. Yeah, he looked like Bane from The Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> 
<laughs> it was. And he dropped, 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 dropped. Yeah. Now, he hasn't been a perennial all-pro. But, but he's been fine. Yeah. He's been fine. Yeah, and he ended up like, and that whoever did that to him really oh, hurt him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so you, you take that stuff. You take that stuff with a grain of salt, and also, by the way, there's difference in different things, okay? Like a kid smoking pot. Jeez, a college kid smoking pot? Stunning. Alert to media. Yeah, exactly. Um, the Jalen Carter thing. It's, it's like, a uh, touchier thing. Yeah, I want to know. It's a much touchier thing. I want to know. Uh, Jack in Delaware is with us. Hello, Jack. Hi, guys. How you doing? Hi, Good. Jack. Listen, Glenn, I want to give you guys a theory of why we should draft Bijan. And cause the one that I haven't heard, and, and you guys re- react to it. Okay. So, I think it's safe to say our defense is not going to be quite as good as it was last year. Mm-hmm. So, in that regard, if we draft Bijan, I think he could allow the offense to keep the ball anywhere from two to three minutes more per quarter, which would be about 12 minutes per game, which means the defense would be off the field for an probably 10 to 12 plays less per game. Also, you well, hold on. Let's, want, let's react right. to that. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I understand where you're coming from, Jack. I don't think that's a good enough reason to take a running back in the first round because, again, there are going to be years beyond 2023. And, again, when you assuming the Eagles hold on to the 10th pick, which is very much an open question, it would not be surprising at all to see Howie Roseman trade down. But assuming they still have the tenth pick when it's when it comes around, I don't think you're you're drafting a, a running back or any player based on just how it will affect the team this upcoming season. You are drafting players for call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Building and regenerating your team. The example I would use, for instance, is after the Super Bowl uh, team of 2017-2018, that following draft, who was the Eagles' first pick? He wasn't a first-round pick, but who was the first player the Eagles took? Dallas Goddard. Why take Dallas Goddard? You didn't need Dallas Goddard the following year. You had Zach Ertz. Yeah, but, but we knew we were going to let Zach go. But let me give you one last not reason. Not for another two years. Okay, well, let me give you one last reason. You don't want – now, this is a strategic reason. You don't want him to go to Dallas, and you have to fight <laughs> them two or three that. times every year – to try to stop him. I thought exactly the same thing. Thanks, Jack. I I, I swear to God, I, I, <laughs> I didn't want to bring it into my arguments mm-hmm. because it's a little like specific and who knows. But I do think it's one of those things where if he goes to the Cowboys and Jerry Jones would certainly take him, he's got a track mm-hmm. record of doing it. 
and he's really good, it's like I don't want to see him in the stupid star twice a year playing the Eagles. I just uh, don't. And I get I, it. It's I not at it. the top of my list. Yeah. It's you know I gave you other reasons <laughs> for it, but understand somewhere in there between reasons. 25 and 30, mm-hmm. it's like if he comes in with a freaking Dallas star and if he's good, <laughs> I'll just kick myself. Kick, uh, myself. kick myself. I don't know. I don't know. I just I don't think you do it. All right. I don't think you do it. Let's, uh, let's grab another call here. Tim in Glenside. Hey, Tim. Gentlemen, uh, good morning. Hi, Tim. Um, before, you know, the one problem I have when you're talking about drafting, and I know that our general manager has been, you know, knighted as this great football personnel guy is, is I still look Ooh, on seemed, Wikipedia. Oh, hold on a second. Wow. Seems, seems a little sarcastic Just there. a bit, yeah. Not buying into Howie, huh? Just, well, you, you know, Mike, you said something about, you know, you want to draft a guy that in the first round that's, that's going to be around for nine years. If okay, you can, well, yes. Okay, well, let's look at the last nine years of the Eagles' first-round draft picks. And, you know, and I'll ask you two guys because you've been around, you know, if you're nine years later, Mm -hmm. what percentage of your first round draft picks do you think is it successful that they're still on the team? What should it be? I would would say I would say two thirds. Well, okay, so now we're looking at uh, Marcus Smith, Nelson Aguilar, Carson Wentz, Derek Barnett, Andre Diller, Jalen Rager. Devontae Smith and Jordan Davis, and you kind of take away the last. Yeah, then let's here. leave Davis out of that. I'm not ready. Yeah, to, yeah. not ready. Yeah. But I hear. But your point's I a valid point, that, no question. I mean, that's below fifty percent. Yeah. Okay. And also, if you and, and here's the problem is okay, um, you, you know it's it's where they're drafted. Also, like it, you know, if you're you know Devontae Smith was a no brainer. I mean, he was the tenth pick. He was a Heisman Trophy winner. But then you have the Jalen Ragers at 21. Okay, so yes, and, they've made bad picks, but what's the end point of your argument? And therefore well, what? But I think right now is is that, and I believe that running backs and, and linebackers are a dime a dozen, but I'm on your side, you know, Glenn, is is that this guy from Texas is, is pretty much of a no-brainer, and it is a need. And I'm not going to buy into the fact that, well, you know, he's got down the road four or five years. He's, he's not going to, as soon as his contract, he might not be on the team. So let's, part of your argument is you want to take the can't miss guy because you think how he could, if he goes in a different direction, he could miss, and this guy can't you miss. Have, you might have an Andre Dillard in jail. Yeah, right? I, okay. Well, you, it's not an argument that I would make, but I'll take the support. Yeah, I'll I, take the vote. I, Thank you. I don't really buy it. I think first of all, if you want to look just at the first round picks that Howie's made in the last ten years, okay, we've got to have a frame of reference. Are you comparing Howie to? Other teams around the NFL, let's let's consider their track records too. I would imagine Howie's is is relatively good compared to the other teams around the league. That's number one. Number two, you're not just picking in the first round; you're taking guys throughout the draft, uh, including Jalen Hurts in the second round, and uh, you know Quez Watkins in the sixth, and Miles, Miles Sanders, Sanders in the, in the second, second yeah. and Dallas Goddard in the second, and mm-hmm. you know Avante Maddox in what the fifth, I guess. Whenever For whatever taken. reason, the Eagles always seem to do very well in the second round. Yeah, they do. They do better in the second round than the first. They do. and then, I don't know why that is, but it just seems to work that way. Right. And, and the can't-miss logic is the same logic that compelled the Giants to take Saquon Barkley. Yes, but they were a bad team. But, but this, my point is you're a good team. You, you are adding something to a good team that can 
put you past I, I, the Kansas City Chiefs under- in the fourth quarter. I understand that, Glenn, but taking Saquon Barkley in, uh, with the number two overall overall pick is part of the reason the Giants stayed a bad team, mm. is that they took a running back with the second overall pick. That's fine. Pick. That's, a diff- that's apples and oranges. But it's not. If you want If you want to sustain excellence... Year after year. I want to win year. now. I want to win in 2023. I want another parade. I enjoyed that parade. Mm-hmm. I got a parade like every 10 years. I got a parade in 2018, February 2018. I got a parade in 2008. I would like one before 2028. I don't know if I'm going to be working here in 2028. <laughs> I'd like another one this next year while I'm still here. I get it. This is. It might be a generational thing then. It might be that you're 60 and I'm 47. <laughs> so you are patient. Fine. Yeah. And Dan Wilson is what are you, twenty what? Twenty five. So you have you have all the patience of life. Yeah, let's just try and win in twenty forty five. Why yeah, not? Okay. <laughs> you you can have to message me at the old age home then. Yeah. Ah, they should have drafted a running back. That's, um, I'll, I'll be arguing that. I'm going to be <laughs> sitting on the front porch in a rocker. Yes. Arguing that to some poor woman picking flowers who has no idea what I'm talking That's about. Right. But I will have been correct. <laughs> all right. He'll, he'll bolt up out of the wheel. Bijan Robinson. Right. And <laughs> she'll be retired for 20 years. And she'll look him up and she'll see, oh, he's that Hall of Fame running back that went to the Cowboys he's, he's when the guy they won who, two Super Bowls. He's the guy who averaged 3.8 yards a carry. All right, we're taking a break here. <laughs> Listen, top of the hour. Don't go anywhere. Top of the hour. It's uh, a very special thing that we have. Dan Hilferty, who is the new head of Comcast Spector, the new CEO. And as we said earlier, he is going to be the man directing the Flyers moving ahead. He is going to be the point man for the organization on all of the arena issues moving ahead. He is coming in studio. We even we cleaned up a little bit. So we dusted. We did. And he's going to be chatting with us. You're going to want to stay tuned. It smells like pledge in here. 215-592-9494. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. With Mike Sealski, I'm Glenn Mack now, 94 WIP. Make sure you stick around top of the hour. It's very interesting. We're, we're interested to talk to Dan Hilfrey and find out what's What's going to happen with the Flyers? What's going to happen with the arena? And I, and I will say this, Mike. Mm. I heard something the other night that, man, you just don't hear in pro sports. I didn't hear anybody else kind of discuss this because the Flyers are so off the grid right now. Yeah. Listen, we could talk about Bijan Robinson for 25 hours straight with college, and, and we will. We see you hanging there. Be patient because we do want to discuss that with you, right? And we can just, Absolutely. And, and the Philly season is kicking up, and that's taking a lot of the energy mm-hmm. and attention, and that's good, and the Sixers are going to go into the playoffs. We'll talk about that later, and the Flyers are dead, right? <laughs> Who's talking about the Flyers? But I want to bring them up just because of this one thing. Mm-hmm. I haven't heard anybody else do this. So um, John Tortorella has decided he's going to sit upstairs with Danny Breer, the interim GM, yes. to watch some games to see if they're on the same page, get a feel for each other. Never heard of an NHL coach doing this, by the way. What ever. do you think? It's interesting. I like it. Yeah. I think it's smart. Yeah. Right? Let's watch the game together and, like, look at that. Look at this. This is what I want. Here's what we need. Right. That guy's no good. Especially because Tortorella has been around so long and – Briere is a little more analytically minded. So yeah, the they're a different they can, generation. Right. So they can watch a game together and see how their perspectives mesh. So Rocky Thompson is the guy who is the assistant coach who got to coach a couple of games. And he also got to do the postgame news conference that Tortorella usually does. And after a loss last night, mm-hmm. he said something. I don't know the last time I heard a coach damn his team like this. And here's what he said.
Guys don't even care. Mike, you've been covering sports for a while. How unusual is it for a guy to say say that to me? There's not much more you can damn a player with than you're not giving effort. No. If you remember, Glenn, in Doug Peterson's first season as the Eagles head coach, he kind of tiptoed up to this line at one point. The team had lost a bunch of games in a row in the middle of the season, and there was that whole incident with Zach Ertz pulling back on the on the block he could have thrown in the game against the Bengals. Yeah, and, oh, God, I still remember. Yeah, yeah and, and yeah. Doug kind of, as I said, got close to the line, but Rocky Thompson looked at that line and just – hurdled it like he was in the Olympics or something. And you're right. It's it's a it, horrible indictment. It, it really is. Now, I will say this. I, I do think Rocky Thompson is expressing something that's probably a view held by John Tortorella oh, no, and some of the no other doubt. coaches. Yeah. But who is he to say this? He's the guy who's voicing it for John Tortorella. Maybe. I, I hear your point, yeah. but I think it serves the greater good. So. Who do you think it is? Yeah. I think there are I, any. I, I got five candidates. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to name some, and I'll bet they're on your list too. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is in no particular order. And I don't, I don't know who he's talking about. I'm just guessing. Actually, I have four candidates. Okay, uh, I'm going to say right off the top of my head, Kevin Hayes, no doubt. James Van Riemsdyk, yes. Uh, Travis Sanheim, yes. And Ivan Provorov. Ding dong, ding ding. That's the four. Yeah. yeah. Who who. Listen, Provorov is going to be the foundation of the team moving ahead. That never is developed. He's got to be gone next year. Yeah. Horrible disappointment. Hayes is a the guy they signed this huge contract, which seemed too much at the time. And you know what he was, Glenn? He was, he was the running back that they needed to push themselves over the oh, top, and they overpaid for him. Yeah, okay. Apt analogy. <laughs> JVR is a guy who's been here yeah. more or less on and off forever. It's like, let's move on. And yeah. Sanheim's a horrible disappointment, too. Yeah. Anyway... As I said, this it, the franchise is a mess. Hopefully, Dan Hilford is going to come in and tell us he's going to save them. That would be the hope for Flyers fans. That's what we're going to ask him about. All right, let's we get Cisco minutes. in Bluebell. Cisco, you're a smart football guy. I've been talking to you on this show for 29 years. Yes, I sir. highly value your opinion and assume that you're going to agree with me that the Eagles taking Bijan Robinson would be a pretty good idea. Uh, no. Ah! <laughs> My man, Cisco. <laughs> My man. Well, in, especially this year when you have two first-round picks. Use that 10th pick. Uh, I, I like Nolan Smith myself, but that's, that's me. Mm. Um, but with that 30th pick, you can actually move into the second round and pick off Jameer Gibbs, who is just as good and faster. Mm, okay. That's what, and, and, and you know you what? If it, so? if, the, if it worked out that way, I'm not telling you I would be upset. Understand, my okay. support of Bijan Robinson isn't Bijan or bust. It's let's not rule this out because he's a running back. But the way you laid it out is good. Ooh. I'm going to tell you and Mike what the Eagles actually are going to do with that 10th pick. Oh. Because I have very – it's not going to surprise you, but I, I'm very well, strong in They're not going to trade it for a player. Oh, no. that's already in the list. I, I don't that. think they're going to trade it for a player this year. I think they're going to yeah. trade down. We're going to all be like, oh, the ninth pick, the tenth pick, <clears throat> and I'm going to be hosting the draft mm-hmm. show with Ike and, you know, with the other guys. And, that's possible. And, and everybody's going to be like, oh, it's going to happen. And it's like the commissioner's going to we have a trade. trade. Yep. The Eagles yeah. have traded down to pick 18. Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Will you, will you no. be a, Yeah, what? They're gonna trade down because they can still get Nolan Smith. Okay. Up until the fourteenth or fifteenth pick. Okay. Draft. 
I, he, listen, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Right. And I don't see any reason to get to waste a tenth pick in the draft on a running back. You're not wasting you it. Have, now you're wrong. You, you, no. You're no, no, you're not you, wasting it. You be nice to Cisco. You be nice. Uh, hold on. Hold on. Cisco. Okay, go ahead. Let me, let me say I'm going to use Ezekiel Elliott as a comp. Okay, it's and not unreasonable. He was the he, he was the. What'd you say? I'm gonna use him as a comp. Also. Okay, he was the fourth pick of the draft, and he has gained over seven thousand yards. He he, mm-hmm. he gained over six thousand yards. Hold on, here it is. Here it okay. is. Here it is. Let me find it. Oh, you God. don't have to tell me how good he is. Okay, so you really would don't. you would you, you take that if you if you got that? Would you take that? Uh, I would not, only because where's his rings at? Well, that's not because of him. I got to run, but thank you. Okay. But again, it kind of is. It kind of is because if you're using the fourth pick on a disposable position, one that doesn't have the inherent value that left tackle or edge rusher or quarterback does, then you're not going to be as good at the positions that actually matter. Give me the top two reasons the Cowboys have not won in the last 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 38 years. Top couple of reasons. Let me think. Um, when was the last time they used a really high pick on a really great quarterback? Uh, Jerry Jones makes. Hi, my name's Jerry Jones. Yeah, Jerry Jones. Makes That's bad, why. Yeah, he makes bad decisions, and part of the and one of the decisions he makes is to draft Ezekiel Elliott with the fourth pick. Uh, it's because he's a boob, and because the coaches he hires are boobs. <sighs> yeah, that's part of it too. Well, that's the bigger part of it. it but. The coaches and the player personnel people are making bad decisions, and part of the bad decisions they are making is taking players when they shouldn't take so them. So you believe for them, and God, I hate, listen, nothing makes me more uncomfortable than A, discussing the Cowboys, and B, discussing any part of them in a positive realm. Mm-hmm. But do you believe that for them, taking Ezekiel Elliott was a mistake? I'm saying it's, it is emblematic of the kind of thinking that has caused them to not win a Super Bowl in close to 30 uh, years. I think you evaded the question. No. I mean, he's a good player, but you don't take a running back that high. Is he a Hall of Famer? I'm not sure he is, no. Oh, okay. Right. I'm not sure. Right. You think taking him was a mistake? Yeah. Okay. All right. That's fine. Yeah, I kind of right. do. Jack in Santa Barbara, I got about a minute, my friend. What's going on with you? What do you think? A minute? <laughs> yes. Hey, um, thanks for taking the call. Yeah. Hey, Hey, Glenn, I've been calling you for about 22 years. Mm -hmm. And right before that, I I talked to Spud on Eagles Live. Yes. And I I said to him, how how are we going to deal with it when you have cornerbacks that are 5'10 and 6' and these guys that are 6'4 are now running 4'4s? I said – we're headed for basketball on grass, and Mike, you're a basketball guy. So what? I'm, I'm so, confused. So what do you want to do? I want to move back. Mm-hmm. I want to do what's best for for the quarterback, who you're going to give all this money to. Yeah. And I want to have more picks in the depth of this draft, okay. which there's plenty of depth. Now, it doesn't mean I don't agree with you, Glenn, because. I, I do agree that taking B. John Robinson is also helpful to the running quarterback in the RPO side. All right, Jack, I do have to hit the break, but I will say this. If you want them to move back, I believe, and thanks, pal. Enjoy, enjoy the day out there. 
I think he's going to get his wish. Yeah, I think so, too. They, they need to accumulate picks. Be very undramatic, but sometimes it's the smart move. It, yeah, it often is. 215-592-9494. Let's take a break. Coming up, we're going to talk to Dan Hilford, as we said, CEO of Comcast Spectacle, about the future of the Flyers, the arena, all that stuff. Coming up with Mike Sealski. I'm Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. We are back. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack, 94 WIP. Now, Dan Hilferty may not be a household name, but he is a huge figure in town. He's the former head of Independence Blue Cross. He led the successful effort to bring the World Cup to Philadelphia. Thank you for that, actually. Uh, in February, mm-hmm. he became the new CEO of Comcast Spectacor, which owns the Wells Fargo Center and the Flyers. He is nice enough to join us here in our palatial studios. Dan, Havertown guy, thanks for being with us. Glenn, thank you for having me. And, yes, I, I am a Havertown guy. Mike, great to see you. You too, Dan. So let's start with the Flyers. Um, and we actually just played a cut in the last segment. Uh, the other night, assistant coach Rocky Thompson, who's filling in behind the bench for Tortorella, said after the game, it looks like some fellas in here look like they're not even trying. Uh, Dan, condemning players for lack of effort, is, that's, it is about the most damning thing you can do in sports. You're a lifelong Flyers fan. Grew up in Jersey, know the team. You know the success of Orange and Black was kind of built on this work ethic that they always had. Now it's plagued with dry rot. How do you how do you build that culture back? I'm not talking about playing like bullies, but how to make it a, pran, a proud franchise, to again make it a relevant brand. How do you make them important again? Well, Glenn, I, I think that's really a, a key point. Let's Let's take a step back here. I think if you look over the course of this season, and first of all, I'm a hockey fan. I'm not a hockey expert. I'm not going to be the guy that's going to analyze a player. I'm not going to be a guy that has a comment about a coach or a GM. Or I'm going to be their collaborator in doing everything we can do to make the bring the, the Flyers back to the great brand they've been and vie for championships every year. So I want to be clear. I'm, I'm not going to mm-hmm. pretend to be something I'm not. But I will say this, first and foremost, if you look at the body of work of Coach Tortorella over the, over the course of the season – Torts has consistently said over the body of the year, the players have played hard. They've been in, they've been in these games. They fought hard, even in games where they just it didn't look good. Um, more recently, at the end of a season, sure, I think there's always a tendency with two or three or four games left for folks to think about moving on to summer, or getting a fresh start for next year. So I tend to focus on what Coach Torts said that we have a lot of young guys in that locker room who are committed to getting better, who are committed to going out there and performing every single night. And frankly, I focus on him as a coach. Uh, Like you, I'm not a household name to coach torts. We're just getting to know each other. I get to know you guys because you're in the public setting like he is. What I say about torts is he's a leader. He's a visionary. The guy's a legend. He's a champion. And he is so committed to this next new era for the Flyers around taking it patiently, drafting, developing talent, doing a combination of the eye tests and analytics to make sure we get the right combination of young people in the locker room who will grow into winners. And our goal, my job as the business person, Valerie Camillo's job as my colleague in that area, is to make sure the fans are brought along in a very exciting way till we get back to that spot. So, so Dan, you're talking about torts and the role that he's going to play in kind of shepherding the franchise into this new era whether it's a lot of perception and a little reality or a lot of reality and a little perception the idea that what you might call the three wise men bill barber paul holmgren and bob clark 
having influence on decision-making and direction of the franchise is there. Is it time now to turn the page on those guys in moving the franchise into this new era? So, Mike, I, I again, a great question. I'm thrilled you asked that question. So uh, my vintage, um, uh, Coach Tortorella and I are in, in the same vintage. I'm a little older than he is, but I came up in Philadelphia sports. You know, I'm a, a St. Joe's guy. Um, I won't hold that against you. I know. Well, I tell you, LaSalle, St. Joe's, same school, different colors. Yep. But, but I think I think the key point. I'm Glenn. Thank you for teaching at my alma mater. It was my pleasure. Right? Loved it. But, Loved it. But uh, to your to your point, I, I just I I really firmly believe that that when you look at how this franchise started, how I came up as a young person, um, Ed Snyder was like a, an icon here and deserved to be an icon here and was so passionate about the Flyers. But what we had as kids in 75, leaving the St. Joe's campus to come down to go to the second parade after a win. So here's what I say about the term, the three wise men. They are the foundational titans of the franchise as players. And in some respects, management and coaching, just as Ed Snyder's the foundational titan from an ownership point of view. There's an inscription in, in Washington uh, as you drive along Pennsylvania Avenue at the National Archives that says the past is prologue. And, and what I'd like to say is, unless you know your past, unless you cherish the foundational titans of your past, you can't move forward into a new world. So in terms of Bob Clark, Paul Holmgren, Holmgren, Bill Barber, they are foundational titans and they will always be part of this family as long as I am here. But mind this, we're going to put together a, a group of three people to lead hockey who will lead hockey. They will be the decision makers. They will have the final say on everything. Uh, Valerie Camillo and I and the rest of our team on the business side will be part of that, supporting them, making sure that we can make the numbers work or whatever it might be. Those three individuals who gave their lives to this franchise will be part of it, will be there, will be available if asked, if asked. But the, the new leadership will lead, will be the final decision maker. And the new leadership will be uh, Danny Briere, uh, uh, John Tortorella, and whomever comes in yeah. as the president who will be somebody with a strong hockey background. So, sure. so Glenn, I, w I would say it this way. The, the, the th let's stick to the titles. and mm -hmm. Let's start with... Uh, uh, which, with Coach Tortorella. So I tend to look at things, and this will get down to how we pick the folks who are helping, helping select the, the new president of hockey. So I tend to look at three things. One, um, a skill set. Uh, I, I had a certain skill set as a, a CEO of, of two pretty large health companies. I had certain gifts, certain talents. Also, there were things that I, were, I was not so strong at. So analyzing a guy like a Coach Tortorella, a legend in hockey, uh, knows hockey inside and out, a champion, a teacher, passionate, passionate for sure. You put those together, and so what do we need in a GM? And, and he's, and, and Torts is kind of an eye test type of guy. That's, I've heard him mm -hmm. say that. So then you, we need somebody in this new age that really buys in, in the GM role, buys into analytics, uh, excuse me, analytics, and buys into using data along with the eye test to make decisions. Danny Briere, still the interim tag, and there's a reason for that, but still the interim tag. Danny is showing every day that he's bringing that combination of really understanding the importance of analytics, both in terms of, of drafting, in terms of scouting, or whatever trade possibilities. And what I've seen, you mentioned earlier that Coach Torts hasn't been on the bench lately. 
it's thrilling to me. I haven't been present. It's thrilling to me that a coach with his pedigree and an up-and-coming GM with using analytics on this side, a player's perspective, and a traditional uh, eye, uh, eye test individual mm-hmm. getting to know each other and meld as a leadership team to pick pick players and build a team. I'm excited about it. You throw in a president – we, we are looking for somebody who fits both from a personality point of view, understands the lines of, of who does what, who speaks when, when does business stay out of it, when does business get into it, and that will be the third piece of this triumvirate who will work together uh, collaboratively to move the franchise forward. How, how important is it in that president position, or even, I suppose, in the GM position, if we leave open the possibility that Danny won't get the job, that you bring in somebody who understands or has some experience in the Philadelphia market? You know, Mike, I, I think that's one of the, the key components of it. We're a unique market. We are a unique market. I mean, Glenn, you've made this your home uh, for most of your adult life. Years, yeah. yeah, and Mike, you and I are, are born and bred here. So I think it's we are a unique market. So I think it's a combination of this. If you begin to look at the skill sets that I outlined for the coach and outlined for the general manager, what we need in a president is uh, is someone who really can play at that NHL level, support me as an alternate governor, along with Valerie Camilla as an alternate governor, understand the role of the NHL, well-known in NHL circles, uh, maybe a former player, maybe not, but, but just has that pedigree, but is – because we're going to be on a journey here. This is not going to be an overnight thing, and we're not going to tell people it's an overnight thing. This is going to be a process. Uh, I hate to use that term. Well, there's a, a word we one. all know. Damn it. As soon as you said that, you thought like, oh. Glenn just started twitching uncontrollably. <laughs> there's, well, okay. Let's, let's, let's well, wait, wait. Can so I process. Finish? Yeah, go yeah, ahead. I'm real sorry. quick. Sure. So, so this person, in part, being that leader at an NHL level, knowing the league, known in the league, also needs to have that Philadelphia touch and also has to be able to help us tell the story to a fan base that is hungering, hungering for change and hungering for a new approach. All right. So we agree, and you are going to let the fan base know that this is a long-term plan. Because I don't want to use the yeah. word process. But it, 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 this is not going to be, this is not going to be, let's patch it up, let's get it good really fast, let's, you know, do the bad, if we, you know, get some old guys in. If we finish 500, that's fine. This is going to be, you're telling the fans, look, this is going to be a journey. Be patient with us. And by nature of that, you're going to have a building that's going to be tough to fill for a couple of years. So, so I, I agree with the first part that we're going to be, we're going to be upfront with the fan base that this is going to be our approach. We're going to focus on the draft. We're going to focus on player development. I mean, in, in that locker room, and again, just listening to Coach Schwartz, and I will not comment ever on a player or, mm-hmm. or from that perspective, but he sees a lot of promise in there. So who can predict how long that's going to take? What I'm committed to and what the president, the GM, and Coach Schwartz will be committed to is that we're going to tell the story and we're going to be out there talking to fans. One thing that I admired about Ed Snyder, I'll never be Ed Snyder. I'm Dan Hilferty. I, 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 that's who I am. I admired that he was out there. I admired that he built trust, even though folks didn't always agree with what he had to say. Well, we as a group are going to be out there. And I believe that if we can ignite kind of that that dream in a fan, the reason they go buy a season ticket, the reason they they are upset, the reason they might make a comment uh, after, after reading an article is because they care. 
if we can help them understand what we're trying to do, help them meet and, and learn about these players and become passionate about and grow with them, I believe they'll come and watch. I sincerely do. There was a heck of a lot of good hockey played in, in stretches this season, not enough to compete. Well, we want to we bring fans along as we, as we head in that direction. So I think we want to move on to the other big topic, uh, yeah. which we wanted to bring up with you, which is, of course, the Sixers' proposal to build an arena uh, in the fashion district, as it's called now. I want to kind of throw this to you directly, Dan. Why shouldn't the Sixers want to not be tenants at the Wells Fargo Center and kind of control their own destiny as a franchise? So, Mike, first of all, that is the real process. I cannot believe I use the term process. <laughs> I'm, I'll be thinking about that. But anyway. Yeah, Dan, so, cut and save that. We'll just throw yeah. that in on a regular basis. <laughs> but, but listen, here, here's, here's what I think. I can't speak for the Sixers. I can tell you this as a fan, and that's what I start as a fan – I love the Sixers. I, watching that game last night with all those the reserves beating Atlanta, who needed a win, I was I went to bed a happy camper, especially after the Phillies win during mm-hmm. the day. So I, I start out as a fan. I have great admiration for the ownership group and and we as an organization, starting from our our chairman at Comcast, Brian Roberts. Great admiration for what Harris Blitzer and David Edelman team have, have been able to do. It's in in many ways it's it's a, a formula that we hope to to, to uh, follow. So I can't, I can't say why they want to do it, except what, what you said, controlling your own destiny is a, is a great thing. There is a, there is a move in, in especially in the NBA to have center city and, and NHL to be, to, to be honest, to, to have center city facilities. Here's what I think. We are so unique in Philadelphia. Where else can you go to one location and see every major uh, sports team, save the union who have done a terrific job of building a brand in Chester and and if we together if we could all come together Sixers included Sixers get some ownership of the Wells Fargo Center we do this together until heck we put nearly 400 million it's a new arena why can't we do it together in partnership and we're very open to exploring various partnership options and then work with the Eagles and the Phillies to rethink everything from areas of the neighbor yard Navy Yard, the new, the old Sunoco plant, the Hillco area, and what can we do there to make this with mixed use, with smaller entertainment venues, to make this the the envy of every sports center, every city uh, in the country and beyond. All right, so let me lay this out: your 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 counter to them doing this Market Street project, right? This however billion dollar project is. Listen, here's the alternative. Uh, and as you said, you guys have the Wells Fargo Center now versus what it was just a couple of years ago is tremendous, right? You really you put all this into it. It's terrific. But here's what we'll do. We'll work with you, Sixers. We'll give you some ownership of the building, which I want to revisit, which would give them more say over their dates, more say, I guess, over if they want to bring other events in there. They'll be a partner as opposed to a tenant. And you will use it as an opportunity to build up the area around the arenas. Um, I guess if I'm the Sixers, my and I understand you're not in a position to give me the details, but I don't know how co-owning a building works. They get 180 days and you get 180 well, days. Well, let's let's partners are partners, Glenn. And so let me let me just say say this. I don't know what the details of a deal would be, uh, uh, but I do know that you put 
people in a room with honest intent of trying to do something special, making one and one equal five, six, seven, some exponential number, great things happen. Transformational things happen. So all I'm saying, I'm hoping we get to a point where we can begin to have that dialogue. I want to dispel one point that you made there. So there's a process that, that uh, every year, I think it's in the April or April timeframe, that the, the two teams come together. Think about putting together NHL, NBA schedules yeah. in one arena. It's a Rubik's Cube that sure. you've, got to, yeah. you've got to piece together. Well, here's how the process works. We sit across from each other. The leagues play. The Sixers go first. They pick a date. Now, remember, everything from concerts to tractor pulls to mm-hmm. yeah. uh, carnival, whatever it might be, right. it's all in this hodgepodge, this mix. But there is an equal process that goes back and forth. It's not like the Flyers pick their dates and then the Sixers pick okay. theirs. It's a trade. But they are still a tenant, and, and you're saying they would not be tenants under this. They would be co-partners. L- you mentioned, let, let me move it along, you mentioned uh, building up the area. What uh, Ed Snyder talked about this decades yes. ago when, it, when he was first doing the building. What am I going to see 15 years if this works as you, as you plan it? Well, I, I, and this is... This is a hope and a dream. So what, what I would say to you is look at what Xfinity Live has done. That was a partnership between us, our, our partner Cordish and, and Comcast. It's a great venue for people to come to. The next phase would be a, a five to 6,000 um, entertainment arena. The, the way these entertainers want to come, they either want to come to a, a, a link yeah. or if they're for an 18, 20,000-seat arena, but there's smaller <coughs> venues that yeah. we can really fill. Mm-hmm. We build that together. The next thing is maybe mixed use of condos uh, and, and, and some restaurants, other entertainment. Um, look, Universal is part of the Comcast family. Could we ever entice Universal to be part of this? And then you expand it out into parts of the Navy Yard. You look at options at Hillco, and you look at east of the link, there are warehouses, I believe, that sit empty. Well, if we get the Eagles excited about it, we get the Phillies excited about it, could it be new training facilities that just are state-of-the-art again? And then people living there and being part of this vibrant community, it mark my words, it would be the envy of the U.S. sports. So this is what you're trying to sell to Josh Harris, Edelman, so on, and say, you don't need a building on Market Street. Let's do this. So, Have you gotten response from them yet? So I'm not trying to sell anything. I, okay. You, you asked me. You asked me my vision, and that that is not when I say my vision, our our collective vision, starting with our with our chairman Brian Roberts. So, I think it's it's important that um, I want to sell it, but I want it to be in a position where the flat where the the Sixers make the decision that yeah, you know we're we're this. We could look at this. This is something that might be an option for us and be an option that is great for the city, doesn't displace a community, and, and frankly, that we will have that, that we will control our own destiny with a partner in a much more uh, vibrant and exciting way. But there, one of the legs, one of the strong public relations legs, at least, that the Sixers have is that they are making the argument for the downtown arena in saying that is an area of the city that needs to be revitalized. Now, I think they've encountered a ferocity of pushback from Chinatown that they weren't quite prepared for. But in the main, their argument is that portion of the city needs to be better for the sake of the city, for the sake of the community. 
South Philadelphia is already a bit of a hub. It's one of the safer areas in the city. So what do you say to the Sixers who would say, we need to do this for the good of Philadelphia. We need to build up the market yeah. east portion of the city. So, Mike, I, I think it's a very valid point. And, and I, I, I want to take a step back here. I've known David Edelman for a number of years. I consider David a friend. I mean, if you look at throughout David's career, uh, provided housing on uh, off campuses for students who, who can afford it and it's, it's accessible and all of that, I admire David a great deal. When he says he loves Philadelphia, David Edelman loves Philadelphia. And, and his, his comment early on that we're staying in Philadelphia, as a, as a fan, that meant a ton to me. So, look, I've been around politics and business in this region most of my adult life. We need to do something about East Market Street. And I believe that we, the Sixers, Flyers, Comcast Sportsnet, hopefully the others, that we could be part, part of a broader solution that includes neighborhood input, includes city government, where we rethink East Market. If you look at any urban area, kind of the hotbeds of the, of, the, of the cities, of the metropolis, move around over decades. So what is the next vision for that that doesn't um, disrupt a, a very vibrant community, that doesn't uh, cause traffic issues, but instead where the Flyers, the Sixers, and others are part of a broader solution with corporate Philadelphia, with civic Philadelphia, that makes East Market great again from, this, from City Hall on down to the uh, uh, to, to to where our nation started. We're with Dan Hilferty, who is the head of Comcast uh, Spectacore, the CEO, and involved very much with the Arena Plan and with the Flyers. We have time just for a couple questions. I know you guys got something coming up. You got an announcement this Tuesday that involves our beloved Big Five. What can you tell us? Well, Glenn, I, I I'm excited about this because uh, as as Big Five guys, and we can call you Glenn, an honorary Big Five guy, <laughs> uh, the fact that we've been able to work with the Big Five uh, to bring a, a men's tournament uh, to the Wells Fargo Center, there will be announcement. This there's exciting components of it that I I won't get into here, but on a personal level, I'm just I'm just thrilled that we're able to do this. Uh, as a, as a young guy sitting in, in the palestra uh, cheering for my team and sweating in that, that hot building, we're hoping to create uh, a new version of that environment down at the Wells Fargo Center. And, and Valerie Camillo and the team are, are to be commended for, for working closely with the Big Five to make that happen. And just the last one for me, Dan, and you've mentioned it multiple times since you've been with us, your connections to the city, an Ocean City native, a St. Joe's grad. What sort of help or influence is your background in getting done what you want to get done? Uh, Mike, I, I'd say this. First of all, i got to clear something up. I was, I was born in Drexel Hill. Oh, I'm a, okay. I'm a Drexel uh -huh. Hill guy. My father passed away when we were young. My mother moved us to Ocean City. I'm a Havertown guy now. So, gotcha. so I just got it. Like, Best place in the world, pal. Yeah, yeah. Hashtag true Delta. No place better to live. That's no right. place better to live. So, so here's the deal. I, I, look, I, like I said earlier, we, we all have skill sets. And, and I've, I'm proud of the things that I do well, but other people have amazing skill sets too. And if we can all come together, and that's what I've built my career on, uh, putting people in place because they have something that I don't have. And if we can all come together as individual leaders, as corporate leaders, great things happen. You mentioned the World Cup, Glenn. We can do the same thing as it relates to the community as a whole and the sports, the sports franchises as a whole in Philadelphia. So 
I think what I bring is a level of, of, of trust that I've built over the years. Um, and you will not hear me say a negative thing about the 76ers. Do I disagree with their perspective? Absolutely, because I firmly believe at some point, look, we're gonna be together till 2031 anyway. Our goal is to make sure we do everything in our power to support the Sixers winning NBA championships. And so that's how I built a career. And I just believe if we all kind of open up, let our guard down and have a conversation about what could really be great for the city, for the people, for all people who live in the city and region, and also become the envy of every sport, professional sports community around the country. Well, Dan Hilferty, listen, we really appreciate you coming in today. And um, our listeners care about the arena, but I will tell you even more so, so many of our listeners care so much about the Flyers and have felt alienated from that franchise for the last couple of years and don't know where it's going. And they're really uh, depressed about it. And uh, if you are able to, to establish a leadership team, um, and communicate with the people. You know, we appreciate you coming in, and we know you've, you've talked to a couple of the media in the last few days. And I think the, the vast majority of Flyers fans, they just they want to be talked to. They want to know that something's going on. They want to believe that there's, there's a positive future. So you taking this initiative to kind of get out there, and we hope that we look forward to talking to you again uh, because th- this has been a hockey town for so long. Uh, and I grew up as a hockey guy, and I know Mike as well, and it just it breaks people's hearts to see where this franchise has been. And, and so okay, if you can bring hope to it uh, and honesty to it, it, it's a tremendous positive. Well, thanks, Glenn. You can never predict the future, yeah. but we're going to put every ounce of our effort into doing just that. Dan Hilferty, uh, CEO of Comcast Spector, thanks so much for being our guest. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you, Dan. 215-592-9494. We will come back. We'll take your calls. We'll continue to talk about the draft. If you want to follow up on this conversation, that is great. And I watched a great movie this week. I'm going to tell you about what we're watching. We do. And we have Kyle Newbeck coming up at noon to talk Sixers. There you go. On 94 WIP. Mike Sealski, Glenn Macnow, 94 WIP. Go to the phones in one second. Scott, hang in there just a sec. Uh, your thoughts on uh, Dan Hilferty and what he had to say. Let's talk first about the Flyers. He struck me as being very honest about the condition of the franchise. Uh, they're putting an awful lot of trust in John Tortorella, which is interesting to me because even though Torts has kind of bucked this trend for most of his career, uh, NHL coaches tend not to stay in one place very long. Now, he has had long stretches at various franchises he was with the Tampa Bay Lightning for a while the Columbus Blue Jackets for a while even the New York Rangers for three or four years so it sounds like he's really going to be an integral part of the reshaping of the team moving forward which is interesting to me because that's an awful lot of power for an NHL coach to have I agree um you asked him about the three wise men Clark Barber Holmgren and I think most fans are kind of the mind that like I those guys just shouldn't – they're dinosaurs. They shouldn't be doing it anymore. So you asked him about it, and he said they will always be part of the franchise. They are icons. They will uh, – w- they'll give They'll always opinion be welcome and et cetera, et cetera. When, and their opinion when asked. When asked were the two important okay. words in that answer. So do we infer out of that without trying to insult them, they are not going to be part of the decision-making process? That's exactly what I took away That's from That's what it. I took away from it as well. Okay. Arena. Hey, he's he's 
sees that the Sixers want to leave, want mm-hmm. to do this billion-dollar project, which is theirs, yeah. his counter is, stick around, let's do this together, we'll give you a stake in the building. I mean, it sounds like he's like, what do you want? We'll give it to you. Yeah. Right? I don't want to say they're desperate, but I think they're really trying to accommodate the Sixers uh, and we'll make it part of a thing with the other teams and we'll build a 6,000-seat arena and housing and so on. It's the best he has to sell. Will it work? I don't think it will work. I think the other dynamic that didn't come up, and Dan isn't in a position really to address this, is though he did make reference to the fact that David Adelman is on the record in a column that I wrote last year mm-hmm. as saying that the even if the Market Street Arena project falls through, the Sixers will not move from Philadelphia. They will remain a Philadelphia franchise. Yeah, he did, re- he did reference that, yeah. But I think there is some skepticism about that. I think the possibility of them moving to New Jersey yeah. is still out there. I do, too. Uh, and so that's going to be really, really fascinating to watch how this plays out. Because mm-hmm. as you said, Glenn, they're making kind of their best available pitch, the, you know, Comcast, that is. And I'm not sure the Sixers are going to go for it. Nor am I. It's, uh, again, it's, he's, they got, he's giving it a try. Yeah, yeah. And he's playing. On, I, I feel like the Sixers already have a foot out the door. And he's playing smartly on the idea of togetherness among those four franchises. The Phillies are already down there. The Eagles are already down there. The Flyers are here. Why do you want to branch off and do your own thing when together we could rehab FDR Park yeah. and build bars and shops and restaurants in the area between and among the stadiums and arenas and we could make this something special? Why do you want to? Do your own thing. Think it's going to work? No. I don't either. I would like it to work, but I don't think it will. Yeah. All right, let's go to Scott East Windsor. You're on with Mike and Glenn. Hey, Scott. Hey, guys. How's it going? Good, Hi, Scott. So um, we're talking about the Bijan Robinson pick at 10. Um, and, Glenn, you bring up the Ezekiel Elliott pick in 2016 at 4. Um, do you know who the second running back was picked in um, 2016? No. Tell me. It was Derrick Henry in the second round at 45. Mm-hmm. Nice pick. So, yeah, that's a great pick. But, you know, I'm all for them picking a running back at some point earlier than, um, you know, just anywhere because we also picked Wendell Smallwood in 2016. Um, how about, you know, we trade back that 30th pick and get maybe the second or third running back picked in the draft. Um, okay, I think and, and be this a this pick. would this would not kill me, uh, you know, Scott. As you've heard me say, I'm not Bijan or bust. I just don't dismiss it as a bad idea, like a lot of other people let, let, uh, do. Excuse me. Let's be clear about this. You suggested off air that we gather about 30 Eagles fans yeah. and we go to the draft <laughs> and boo whoever the Eagles <laughs> pick if it's not Bijan Robinson. Yeah, that, that you one, said that. That'll live forever, <laughs> um, Scott. So if they stay at 10. What would be the Scott East Windsor plan? I, I don't think they're going to stay at 10. I think they're going to trade down a couple picks. I do, too. Um, and then look at safety. Okay, and you're good with I, that. I, I would be good with that. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm okay I'm with, bad the, with it. Okay. All right, with pal. the edge rusher, with the defensive tackle, with the safety, any of those, you know, anybody who can make plays on that defense. Yeah, I again, I don't thanks. I don't obj- I don't object to it, mm-hmm. but it's just like yeah, drafting a running back. It's like no, <laughs> it's not. It's not just a bad idea. Just because the Giants didn't make the playoffs until last year doesn't mean the Eagles Here's the word. 
I think I might be stealing this from Ike Reese because I heard Ike. Ike influenced me a lot on this when I listened huh. to him. Ike was brilliant on this. Plug and play. I don't like drafting plug and play. I don't. When you're a good team? You went to the Super Bowl? <sighs> yeah, but you don't know that you're going back. You think you might go back. But once you start you chasing, aim, you aim to go. Once back. you start chasing plug and play draft picks in the name of getting back to the Super Bowl, that's where things start to go awry for I the see. franchise. Okay, Warren in Gwinnett Valley uh, wants to talk about Dan Hilferty and what he had to say. What do you think, Warren? Uh, I'm not on the Dan Hilferty bandwagon because a couple reasons. One is he keeps moving from corporation to corporation. He doesn't stay very long, so. I don't see that he has much I don't think that's uh, true. in the game as far as hold on, you know, I, I, where I, he comes from. I don't think that's true. I'm I not think, sure. I think he, he was, was at Independence Blue Cross yeah, for, for quite a while. For a long time. No, he was only there for a couple of years. Uh, okay. So, he seems so, to, uh, so and you... that was he was at another job before that one. But beside the point, I don't like our our corporations, whether it's a sports team or what, getting into you know where they should be in the city saying that they want to make some sort of a difference when I don't think by the way he was a blue cross blue hold on. on market street he was a blue cross for 10 years that, that doesn't seem like just dropping in well either way I I just don't a I don't like you know a sports team dropping into a center city location where they have no business being if they're trying to be some well, that, sort of cor- corporate, you know, improvement well, to you got it backwards. Then you man. got it backwards, Warren. Your your beef is with the Sixers and Josh Harris and David Edelman. It's not with Dan Hilferty. Dan Hilferty wants the Sixers to stay in South Philadelphia. Well, I I heard him say, you know, if if they're trying to move into you know Market Street, that they're trying to do some sort of civic improvement to. You heard it all wrong. Man. Yeah, no, that's that's the Sixers pitch. There was nothing in that conversation that was accurate. Dan no. Helferty was a Blue Cross Blue Shield for 10 years. When a guy runs a company for 10 years, I don't think he's a carpetbagger or whatever Dan was trying to say. Yeah. So, or, or, excuse Warren. me, Warren was trying to say, so that's wrong. And I think he missed the whole point of the, of the thing, which is the Flyers, like the Sixers now, and the Eagles and the Phillies are all in South Philly. Hilferty's goal is to keep them in South Right. The, the Sixers and their ownership are the ones who are selling the idea that if we get a Center City arena, Center City will be better and revitalized for it. The Flyers are not making that argument. Dan Hilferty wants to revitalize that part of the city, so he says, and I, agree, I, I believe him, but he doesn't want the Sixers moving there to do it. So we don't talk politics a lot on this show for very good reason. One is... You got half the people mad at you, and exactly. it's not really why people listen to the station. So I'm not discussing. Well, I guess I am discussing politics, but the for whatever reason, the arena issue with the Sixers has taken a long time to become part of the mayoral yes. race. Mm-hmm. I mean, the current mayor seems to like just have checked out on yeah. it. Yeah, it's like. <laughs> well, uh, Whatever, I, think, I got no opinion. I, I think Rocky Thompson would be calling out the mayor yes. at this point. I think that's true. The mayor should be like, if you still have the job, you either lead it like, yes, we want to do this, or no, I oppose it because, and he's just kind of, eh. Nah. Yeah. Um, but the other candidates for mayor have, to a large degree, been ducking the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a huge deal. One way or the other, this strikes me as a huge deal, a, a game changer in the city. You either want it or you don't. And I understand why people feel both ways, but 
it would be nice if the whatever half dozen people running for mayor would kind of stand up and say, I like it because or I don't like it because. Yeah, I, I think people need to know that. I do think some of the movers and shakers in the city are already mindful of and preparing for certain outcomes if certain candidates win, if that makes sense. If candidate X wins the election and becomes the next mayor, there's going to be an understanding that, oh, the arena is not happening. No. You know, and yeah. people are already dim. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. People are thinking that way already. Right. And and there are other ones who like, you know, they're in with the building and the trades. And so it's like, of course, they're going to make it. Yeah. Happen, or try to make it. Happen. Yeah. And you've also got, you know, and this is really hot button stuff. You've also got this dynamic. And I referenced it with Dan, uh, where you know citizens in the Chinatown neighborhood are really speaking out against this project. And there are uh, black civic leaders uh, who are speaking out in favor of it. Um, there's a bit of conflict there. It's it's there's a lot of tendrils and and mm-hmm. sides to this thing. It's yeah, well, it's really a complex situation. It would be nice if the city had the leadership that got up and kind of weighed in. Well, that's what it's David kind of happening in a void. That's what David Adelman yeah. said to me uh, yeah. in an interview last year. He's like, "Where's you know if the politicians aren't going to step up and and lead on this thing, somebody has to and." All right. We're going to try to do it. That's the extent I promise that Mike and I are <laughs> going to talk politics today. And I don't think we're specifically taking any side no. on anything or endorsing or not anybody. We're just commenting on this murky situation. That's correct. When we come back, we believe we're going to talk to our Cooper doc about, uh, well, we're talking about Derek, Derek Hall. Hall. That's such a, you know, I feel for that guy. I do too. In that. He was not regarded as a great prospect, had the big year in the minors last year, gets called up to the Phillies, gets off to a great start, some holes in his swing. Reese Hoskins gets hurt, unfortunately. But here's his big chance. Yep. And then it's like two weeks in, not even two weeks in, like broke his broke his. Yeah, uh, yeah do feel ligament. bad for him. Uh, so we'll talk about that. We will talk about the Eagles draft. I didn't get in what we're watching. I went to see the movie Air, the 110-minute movie about a shoe deal. Mm-hmm. I liked it. Yeah. So I'll tell you all about that coming cool. up, too. And and we have... Uh, Kyle Newbeck at noon. There we go. 215-592-9494. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. And uh, you tired of dealing with those old drafty inefficient windows in your house? Hey, maybe it's time to go guide it. How about that drafty, beat-up-looking entry door that you painted over more times than you can count? Well, go guide it. Need added protection from the elements with a new storm door? Go guide it. And... What about that sliding patio door? Oh, that garage door. Man, I need to replace that. Hey, go Guida. Whatever your home improvement needs are, I suggest you go Guida with the great people at Guida Door and Window. To help you get your project started, Guida is offering 20% off all windows and doors while allowing you to start your project with no money down and up to three years to pay them off interest-free. That's right. Receive 20% instant savings with the luxury of paying off your project interest-free for up to 36 months. Restrictions apply, offers for a limited time. So what are you waiting for? It's time you finally go Guida. Call today, schedule a free in-home estimate at one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I. Mike Sealski, Glenn Macnow, 94 WIP. You got anything exciting going on? Oh, you got Easter tomorrow. I got Easter right. tomorrow. Big, spending the day with family the family. Thing? Nice. Yeah, it's going to be good. Easter we'll egg hunt, cooked ham. What do we do? Uh, no Easter egg bonnet. Hunt. Well, Not let's... this year. The boys are a little too old for an Easter egg hunt. Oh, okay. um, but we will have ham. I believe there will be ham and turkey. I think. The guy, my my friend Paul McGovern, he's my personal trainer. Mm-hmm. He's he's got to be 
fifty, and his family has he's got a big family, right? Big Irish mm-hmm. Catholic family, and they've done ham at Easter for like his whole life, and he hates ham. <laughs> and so yesterday I'm seeing him, and he's just bitching for an hour. <laughs> they make ham. I don't want to eat ham. I hate ham. Uh, so he says he's going to bring a steak and cook it as an alternative. I said, oh, that passive-aggressive approach. That'll work yeah, that's, well. that's awesome. That's All awesome. right, let's play this clip going in. Derek Hall injured uh, a little bit during that play, and I don't know if he cut his hand or jammed his thumb. He looked like something happened to his right thumb, and uh, he was given some attention in between innings. He's still really favoring that right thumb. Over there at first base. Well, all of the above, Scott Fransky, because what happened is Derek Hall tore a ligament in his right thumb. He, uh, it is not expected to end his season, but he is going to be getting surgery on it. This is the time of the show where we check in with our friends from Cooper Bone and Joint. Dr. Mark Pollard joins us, Doc. I know there are multiple ligaments in the thumb, but... Tearing one and getting surgery, like what would that recovery entail if your job is swinging a baseball bat? Um, You know, without knowing the specifics of anything, the most likely uh, culprit is what's called the uh, uh, ulnar collateral ligament or the ligament that's actually on the the side of the thumb that's towards the index finger, uh, right at the base of the thumb. Um, That's, you know, commonly injured in sports activities. Uh, they actually call it gamekeeper's thumb, oddly enough, because like the old English gamekeepers, when they were to take care of uh, rabbits, the rumor was that they would tear that ligament. Um, <laughs> hey, yeah, you know what? Good little reference, Doc. We like that one. That's great. But anyways, uh, so uh, but it's commonly injured. I think Joel Embiid had this at the end of, was it last season in the playoffs? Had surgery, I think, in the off season. Um, and I think Chase Utley may have had it and came back. Um so anyways, the surgery for it is to just reattach the ligament because when it tears, it doesn't reliably heal because the end, you know, a ligament's like a rope. And when it uh, releases from one of the bones, it can actually pull on the wrong side of, of a tendon so it can't get to where it's supposed to attach to and so it can't heal properly. And so oftentimes surgery is considered for these. Um, he's, I think he's right-handed, so this is his right thumb. So obviously... Uh, you know, your right thumb is a pretty important structure. Um, so the, I think the recoveries, uh, you know, classically it's about three months, but I think Oof. they've pushed it. Drew Brees had this and came back, I think, four weeks later or something like that. So um, they've been, you know, getting more aggressive with the rehab protocols after surgery. So, you know, four to six weeks is certainly not unrealistic. So, Dr. Derek Hall bats left-handed. And this is on his right thumb, so it would be the bottom hand when he swings a bat. Does that make any kind of difference in terms of his ability to perform and hit once he comes back? Would it be harder if it, if if he were a right-handed batter and this and his top hand on the bat were the one affected? Um, yeah, it's uh, obviously your dominant hand is the one that kind of guides the bat a little bit more. And so you rely on that uh, a little bit more. You know, at the end of the day, you're still doing the same thing with both of your hands, trying to grip around the uh, uh, handle of the bat. Um, but I think the uh, top hand or the dominant hand tends to get a little bit more torque on it uh, coming around. So I, I think that that's probably a bigger deal to have the dominant hand as opposed to the non-dominant hand. 
Okay, well, we shall see. Doc, there have been already too many injuries for the Phillies. While we enjoy talking to you, we hope that next week we have literally nothing to report and can just have a nice conversation with you and wish you a happy holiday and all of those things. <laughs> of course, that would be nice, sir. All right, Doc, be well. Thank you, Doctor. Thank you so much. No, thanks. Yep. All right. You know, I, I said this going into the show, the Phillies have just, it's like the season is so young. Yeah. You know, you, you knew you weren't going to have – uh, Bryce Harper for a while. Now that seems optimistically he's going to be back earlier. Saw a batting practice yesterday. Hit he home runs. Great. He looked great. Right. Yeah. You know what I heard? One of the fears is base running. Yes. More than hitting, it's base running. Yeah. The idea of of pumping your arms, of sliding, all of that. Yeah. Uh, the motion that he has to make after having Tommy John surgery. Yeah. Okay. So we don't have him for now, but we knew that. But okay, the lineup's going to be better. They got Trey Turner, which is a big deal. Mm-hmm. I'm not minimizing that. But then you then you lose Reese Hoskins. Yeah, yeah. And as much as a lot of people don't like Reese Hoskins, productive. Yeah, thirty home runs a year. You don't yeah. get that a lot. A- and as we've said on the show before, can carry you for a week or yes. two when he gets hot. But that's okay because we got Derek Hall, and he's a power hitter, so it's going to be it's going to be all right. Mm-hmm. Not as good, but all right because Derek Hall he'll fill in admirably. Not so much. No, <laughs> he lose. What did he just say? Three months? Yeah, he, he he bounced around a little bit. He said three months. He said four to six weeks. Okay. Uh, our reporters at the Inquirer, Alex Coffey and Scott Lauber, said six to eight weeks. So, right. so we'll let, let's let's go in the middle and say two months. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Not he, good. He and Bryce Harper coming back at the same time. That'll be a lift. But right, so you don't have him. Uh, Brandon Marsh got hurt, but he's he played yesterday. He and did. It's okay. So that was good. But you've lost Ranger Suarez. When's he coming back? You know, like Nobody how come I'm seems getting no no talk about that? Why yeah. do I? He's like going down to Lehigh to throw. When is that? Yeah, I don't know that. That they've been kind of closed mouthed. But it's okay. Ranger's future because you got the 19 year old kid, the phenom, the greatest pitching prospect since Sandy Koufax. <laughs> Andrew Painter's going to fill the void. Not this year. No. No. I'm telling you, Mike. Well, I'm not. I I don't want to say this. I don't. I, I'm I'm a little nervous about it. Well, look. Bit. I I think the key to this is just treading water until Harper, in particular, and Hall, and these other guys we're talking about, start to come back. It's going to be a rough go of it in the first couple of months of the season. It just is. Uh, I think that's what they have to do. They just have to kind of hang in there until these reinforcements come back. Mm. Okay. Well, that's uh, you're you're exactly right, and you have, and there there have to be those guys who who like turn it up a little bit, uh, like Bailey Falter has to be good. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We said this about Jordy the- McDonald, by the way. Big Bailey Falter. Is he really? Fan. Yeah. He, he he thinks he's he thinks they really have something there. You know, he's one of these guys who, like, his wind up to me makes him interesting because he hides the ball so much, and it looks like it would be difficult to pick it up out of his hand. He's not overpowering. He's not blowing guys away, I don't think. But he he pitched very well in his first start. If you can get more out of that, all the better. And they need that. The point I was going to make was we say this about the Eagles, that they have guys who they just need to get better, guys like Jordan Davis mm-hmm. and Naj, um, uh, uh Dean. Uh, yeah, not, you know, um, N'Kobe Dean. I wanted to say Najee. N'Kobe right. Dean. Kenny Gainwell, guys like that. Well, the Phillies have guys like that, too. Milton Williams, I put on that list. Right. Bryson Stott has to continue to hit. Yeah, like Bailey, him. Bailey Falter well. needs to pitch yeah. better and yep. well. So, 
Um, that's that's an uncomfortable thing for fans, I think, because they haven't seen it yet, and they're trusting these guys to just improve. Well, and at the top of that list, I would say this bullpen has to be yeah. better because they invested so much in the bullpen, and then look at all these guys they got, and all of a sudden, like Gregory Soto, bang! Yeah. It's going out of there. Kimbrell, I know he he got this. Did he give him a save on that yesterday? Maybe he did. Dan Wilson, did he? He, he did. came in with a three-run lead. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, he, got the save. Save. Okay, so he got the save. <laughs> the, the way he... Positions himself before he throws a pitch. Yeah. The way he kind of, it's yeah. like uh, they gene spliced Mitch Williams with a praying mantis or something. Yes. It's well, you remember when he pitched for the Braves and pitched against the Phillies, the fans would do that behind home yeah. plate. It was great. Yeah, uh, yeah. Can't do it now. Did they do it yesterday? They or didn't it, do it. Well, now he pitches for us, right. so, so it's, it's not quite. Not, as it's not, also, the pitch clock cut down the time he can do it. You're right. Yeah, you're right. Um, and th- and those guys got to you know Sir Anthony. Those guys got to got to like get it together. Yeah. By the way, real quick, because I want to hit the break here. Uh, Dan Wilson and I, I know you are uh, extremely disinterested in fantasy baseball. I got that vibe from you. Oh yeah. Uh, when we brought it up a couple of weeks yeah. ago, right? Now, to could, quote my old friend Anthony Gargano, you would be aggressively disinterested. I could not possibly care less. Good. So I'm going to take 30 seconds team. to talk about it. Okay. Uh, we have the WIP League. We had the draft uh, right before the season. Uh, Dan Wilson got the first pick, took Shohei Otani. That's certainly the, the, you know, the wise thing to do. Uh, my first-round pick, Aaron Judge, had that couple big home runs got early. Got off to a good start. Yeah, taking a couple of offers. Dan and I are actually head-to-head. In the ah. first week, which is the weekend tomorrow? What's what is the what's week? Yeah, week ends every Sunday. Sunday, okay. All right, and and uh, it's done by categories, uh, as in you get points for home runs mm-hmm. and runs and stolen bases and strikeouts and so on. You currently lead me five to four with one push, right? Correct, five four one. So I am leading by quite literally the minimum amount. Yeah. So I need to beat you in the the one we're tied in that I could pass you. Is holds and saves. Yeah, we both have ten, which we're like both leading the league in that. Well, because I drafted all relievers. So did I. <laughs> like, oh, okay. <laughs> so we have two very strong reliever teams, right. and we'd be beating anyone else in that category. But we're playing each other. Because when I looked at us the other day, like I am not going to catch you in ERA this week. You are not going to catch me in runs scored. That's the one. So tonight, I'm going to be looking at every reliever in baseball to see who goes. Home runs is pretty close, too. I have nine, you have 11. I, I feel privileged to, to be here in yeah, the fantasy okay. baseball octagon. All right, all right. Two-man in or one-man right. lead. I, I imagine the audience cares as little as you do, but Dan and I are head-to-head, so it's kind of fun. All yes. right. Uh, coming up, uh, what the hell are we doing? Oh, we're, we got our guest. Coming. We got a Kyle Newbeck from Philly Voice to yeah. talk about the Sixers. Let's do that. We're, and uh, we're going to do what we're watching in the 12 o'clock hour. Yeah, we, we moved it back an hour, so. Anyway. And taking your calls. 215-592-9494. You take the driver's seat, would you please? Yeah, sure. I'm Mike Sealski. He's Glenn Mack now. I'm in the driver's seat. This is WIP. The MVP race is over. I, I, I'm really. Like tonight, we had we couldn't make shots. We had guys making shots, uh, would open shots. The man just scored half our points in the NBA game. Um, and I'm biased. But the MVP race is over. That, of course, was Sixers coach Doc Rivers on Tuesday night after Joel Embiid dropped 52 in a victory over the Celtics. I, Mike Sealski, was there. Glenn Macnow, were you watching at home? Sorry. Uh, on and off, yeah. Yeah. It was a heck of a performance. It was, it was pretty amazing. It was. And another guy who was there covering it for phillyvoice.com, one of the better beat writers in this city, 
Mr. Kyle Newbeck joins us now. Kyle, how are you? Hanging in, fellas. How we doing? All right. We're doing great. So let's get the MVP stuff out of the way off the top because it's Glenn and I agree it's kind of a tiresome conversation at this point. Uh, is Joel Embiid the MVP? And if he's not, why isn't he? I think he is. Um, look, I, I think the body of work over this season and the last three years, or the last three years combined, I should say, is just so significant at this point that you know, I think it's pretty tough to give it to Nikola Jokic for a third straight time in general. He'd be the first guy to do that since Larry Bird did it in the early 80s. And no disrespect to Nikola Jokic, but has not had the playoff success that Larry Bird had with the Celtics in the early 80s. So to me, I think that, that makes it easy to say, look, Joel has maybe been the best two-way player in basketball this year. He's about to be the first back-to-back scoring champion at center since Bob McAdoo back in the mid-70s. Is essentially the only guy holding things together for them on the other end of the floor compared to Giannis Antetokounmpo, who has, is a great defensive player as well as being a 30-point-a-game scorer but has a lot more help on defense. So I think the, the case for Joel is simple. Not only is, it, not only is he the lead, leading scorer, He's the most impactful, most important guy for his team on both ends. All right, let me just take a quick aside to say that you mentioned my favorite player of my youth, Buffalo Braves, Bob McAdoo. Wow. I used to go down to Memorial Auditorium and watch McAdoo and Ernie DiGregorio. They had those great sky blue uniforms too, right, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, They were, uh, yeah, North Carolina blue. Yeah. Garfield Hurd. Oh, it was great. Anyway. Love that Carolina blue. Yeah, yeah, and that was a fun team that John Brown ripped out of and then moved to San Diego, but that's not the point. So he, I just want one quick follow-up on that, which is I worry, and I hope you'll, you'll dissipate my worry, that the MVP race has become, in many respects, more important than the impending playoffs, and that Embiid, who got really mad when he didn't win it in the past is as motivated by that as anything. Please tell me that that's wrong. Well, so here's what I would say to that, Glenn. I think it's almost a weight off his shoulders a little bit. If he wins, just think of it. I mean, he's come so close in those races on top of, they've had some pretty bad heartbreaks in the playoffs, right? Between the Kawhi mm-hmm. shot against Toronto, that crushing game seven defeat against Atlanta, where, you look back at that, there's a good chance they go to the finals that year, maybe even win the finals, if they simply are able to get past the Hawks there. Milwaukee was not you know, world beaters yet at that point. And I think all that, the individual and the team stuff, piles up over time, where if you get this one out of the way and you finally can look at yourself in the mirror and say, I'm the MVP, I'm the best player in the league, not only have I thought that for years, but now uh, – the media body and the public think so as well. Maybe that just gives Joel an extra edge, takes a little bit off of him going into the playoffs. And now, you know, he can resharpen, refocus going into the postseason. And I, I do think the postseason has been the guiding light all along. I do think that competing for a title is the North star for him and this team. And we'll see if they have the horses to go for it. But I do think he is ready to rock for uh, a long playoff run. We're talking to Kyle Newbeck, who covers the Sixers for Philly Voice. Kyle, you and I were there Tuesday night to see Embiid score those 52 points and really will the Sixers in a lot of ways past a shorthanded Celtics team. And you mentioned it a couple of minutes ago that Joel is really the guy kind of holding everything together. 
So my question is, as somebody who's been around this team as much as you have both this season and in years prior, how do you judge their chances at this point? I, I mean, my feeling is if they need Joel to be that great to beat a Celtics team that doesn't have Jalen Brown and doesn't have Rob Williams, boy, I'm skeptical of their chances of beating them in the playoffs. How do you see this? Yeah, so I, I have been operating under the assumption that seeding was going to be a, a big, big factor in the East because I think the three best teams in the league are all in the Eastern Conference. I would put the Sixers probably third on that list. And I think because they have to win on the road in Boston, and then if they get to the conference finals, if they're fortunate enough to get there, they're likely going to meet the Milwaukee Bucks, who they'd be on the road for that entire series too. So I would put it at, you know, let's call it 70-30. That in round two, I think they'd lose to – or that Boston would win. But I will say this. I think Joel is pretty clearly – the best player in that series. And if there's one thing that we've seen historically in the NBA, sometimes having the best guy is enough and everything else will fall into place. I do think the Jalen Brown element is fair, although Robert Williams missing that game. I think some people have forgotten one of the things that Boston had to do in the previous meeting where Jason Tatum hit the game winner, they had to abandon that too big front court that they like to play because Joel was essentially able to roam off of Robert Williams and, mm-hmm. and sit around the paint, and he shut them down on offense because of that. They had to tinker with their lineups down the stretch as a result. So I don't think his absence is as important in this specific matchup. I do think he's a very important player for Boston. But, but look, if, if you ultimately believe in Joel Embiid as the MVP, as the potential best player in the league right now, then you have to say, look, we'll take our chances against anybody, and I think that's the mentality they'll head into the playoffs with. All right, Kyle Newbeck, before they get to see the Celtics in the playoffs, they're going to have to play the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, No Kevin Durant, no Kyrie Irving, no Ben Simmons. This is not the team that everybody thought it was going to be. It is the Brooklyn Nets of, well, Bridges, who's pretty damn great. Our old friend Seth Curry, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie. I'm trying to – I don't – can't remember many guys left on that team. <laughs> My question to you is, piece of cake, no worries, breeze right through to the second round, or any cause for concern? So I think they'll make them sweat a little bit. I do think that Brooklyn has a bunch of versatile athletic wings that they're going to crowd the paint. They'll make Joel work because they have a, a very good defender in Nick Claxton who will be defending Joel. The problem is he's probably given up. 50 to 75 pounds in the post. So there's going to be a lot of double teams, a lot of swarming, just a lot of, you know, effort by committee on defense to stop Joel. Uh, I would be more concerned though about somebody like a Tyrese Maxey, who's going to have to break down defenders who he's given up lots of size and length against. We've seen him struggle against a team like Boston in that same respect. So we'll see what he has to offer in the series, but you went down some of the names on that list, Glenn. I just think they don't have – when you get down to the final five, six, seven minutes of a playoff game, it turns into who do you throw the ball to and trust to make the right plays. I mean, this is no disrespect to the likes of Spencer Dinwiddie and Mikael Bridges, but if you're asking me who I'd rather have the ball, those two guys, or Joel Embiid and James Harden, I'm clearly taking the Sixers guys. So even if these are close games for the first three – three-and-a-half quarters, I'm ultimately going to bet on their top-end talent to win out here. How big a concern for you is Harden's health and his Achilles? 
Oh, I think it's a reasonable concern. You know, he had a uh, he had a strong first half against Toronto last week, where I thought he looked great physically, and that came just a couple of days after he said his Achilles has been sore or bothering him for months, which is not something you want to hear about a guy that's in his mid 30s and already was coming into the year with health concerns. There is certainly an element right now where you look at it and say, this is a guy who's been around the block who is not going to go all out at the end of the regular season, knowing that more important games are to come. But yeah, I mean, games one and two of the Brooklyn series, that is arguably the biggest storyline for me. How does James look? Is he able to break guys down off the dribble? And, you know, that ultimately, along with how good Joel is, is going to decide how far they can go in the playoffs. Kyle Newbeck from Philly Voice. We appreciate your time and your insight very much. Thanks, and uh, see you down the road at one of these playoff games. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks, man. Appreciate it reminiscing about the old Buffalo Braves. Hey, those are great. The NBA in the <laughs> 70s. Team, it was great. They played the Celtics every year in the playoffs, usually lost, beat mm-hmm. them one year. Didn't they get to the finals one year? Uh, yeah, Am I the thinking? Eastern Conference Finals. Okay. I mean, I think okay. Those, yes, the, the 70s NBA is a fun, like, deep dive. It was do. great. It was great. Hey, by the way, before we go back to the phones, and, and we will, uh, David Edelman has already weighed in on uh, Dan Hilferty's reach out to say, hey, let's be partners. Uh, He's responding to the Jeff Gamage piece in the Inquirer, Mm -hmm. but Dan told us the same stuff an hour ago. David Edelman just posted on Twitter, it's okay for friends to disagree. Our plans remain unchanged, but I appreciate that Dan Hilferty and his team are taking this opportunity to potentially reimagine the area around the Wells Fargo Center. Our city could benefit from other companies making private investments and big bets on the future of Philadelphia. Eight of the top uh, markets, metropolitan markets, have two arenas, more events, more concerts, more vibrancy, also more tax dollars for schools and city services. As the Inquirer editorial board said, it's not a zero-sum game. As in, There was an editorial in the Inquirer today saying there's merits to both ideas. Yeah. Uh, so uh, they, the the... Comcast Spectacor uh, public relations initiative with Dan Hilferty began with the Enquirer, yeah. with us, with a thing in the Athletic, mm-hmm. right? So he's getting out there to do this, and David Edelman, who is involved trying to build the other arena, he's paying attention. Oh yeah, wasting no time. Yeah, it's uh, this is going to be a fascinating, fascinating story to follow for all sorts of reasons. Whether you're talking about sports, you know, you're talking about. The political aspect that we mentioned in the last segment, it brings into the idea and the conflict sometimes between people who live in the city and people who live in the suburbs. Um, there's some tension there as well. Uh, it's really, really interesting kinda, stuff. I kind of wish I was covering sports business like I did for the yeah, Fire back, back in the day. Well, you want to come back beat. on board? Uh, no, that's okay. No, I like right. what I do. Okay. Well, Gary from Chalfont wants to talk about none of that. He wants to talk about B. John Robinson. Gary, you're on with Mike and Glenn. Hi, Mike. How you, how you guys doing today? We're wonderful. Yep. Uh, I think that take, uh, taking that uh, running back with a 10th pick is dead wrong. You know, preach, Gary. You get, preach. Yeah. i just never seen it work. I've been following the NFL since I was little. I'm 65. Just Okay. Just, but, Gary, let me ask you a question. Yep. yep. When is the last time you saw a team have the 10th pick – that was a Super Bowl quality team. I can't remember ever. Well, that's the difference, my friend. See, here's what I'm trying to tell yeah. you, Gary. 
This is yeah. not a bad team, the typically bad team that has picked 10 that has all Bench these holes here. and needs. This is a team that is went to the Super Bowl, could go back to the Super Bowl, has a lot of strengths, has a dynamic offense, great wide receivers, Pro Bowl tight end, best offensive line in football, young quarterback, promising. The kid is terrific. You have a defense that you brought back most of the guys, but you know that the way to win in the NFL these days is kill them on offense. What don't you have on offense? You don't have a dynamic running back. Boom. Let me ask you a question. Yeah, I thought it would pretty much end every argument. Yeah, let me ask you a question. If the Eagles have built themselves into one of the better franchises in the NFL, I mean, you're talking about a team that generally is expected to make the playoffs every year, has won a Super Bowl in the last five or six years, has gotten to another one, Mm -hmm. uh, is in the upper echelon of the league. If they've gotten to that point by prioritizing certain positions and de-emphasizing others, Mm -hmm. And following this formula, and that formula tells them don't take a running back with the 10th overall pick, why would you want them to break from that? Because sometimes change is good. Because sometimes you you adapt to the situation. Because it's not like, hey, it's always been this way, so it has to be this way. But this way is still working. Okay. Okay. Again, if they take an edge rusher, that's fine. Mm -hmm. The one thing I disagree with you on, uh, I think in the big picture is you've said, if I interpret you correctly, if they take a guy this year and he doesn't play much, that's okay. They, they, they actually did that last year. Mm-hmm. I, 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 Well, I think the first-round pick was going to play. He got hurt a couple yeah. times, so that cut it back. Mm-hmm. Kobe Dean ended up not playing because I, they got surprising play out of the linebackers last year that was better than they thought. Right. And they signed a short-term one-year free agent. He didn't have to do it. Okay? Um, but – I disagree with the premise that if you're if your team this good, I don't want to draft a guy for down. I don't want to draft Lane Johnson's replacement to sit on the bench. I want to draft a guy that can help win this year. The window's open. The window is open. The, the window was open in 2001 when they had Bobby Taylor and Troy Vincent as their cornerbacks, and they drafted Lito Shepard and Sheldon Brown and had cornerbacks after that, and those guys didn't play right away. I don't remember 2001. <laughs> Before my time. Uh, it, look, it, it really is an interesting discussion. It is because you are going to get these outlier players. You're going to get the Saquon Barkley. You're going to get presumably the Bijan Robinson. And it makes you question certain things. Look, and you can go the other way too, right? To your, to your point about just net being smart and picking good players, right? Like, the Kansas City Chiefs move up to get Patrick Mahomes, mm-hmm. and it works because Patrick Mahomes is a generational quarterback. Yeah, it it's always great. listen. It always works if the guy's great, right? Exactly. I mean, I, I think we can agree. Whatever position you take, if the guy is a Pro Bowl or Hall of Famer, perennial All Pro, the strategy's great. Right. Right. I just think there are certain positions where it is more worthwhile to take that chance i.e. quarterback or offensive lineman or an edge rusher, then running back. I think that's kind of where I come down. Um, And I think with the 10th pick, you know, you want to use that on a player. Open your horizons. Nah, I like my horizons closed and dark. New ideas. (laughs) I think what I think, Think and that's all there is to it. Hey, Uh, we're going to tell you about a great movie. Yeah, let's do that. So coming up, we got what we're watching. We will continue to take your calls and bat around the 
discussion topics about the Eagles draft and the arena and the Flyers and all that stuff. 215-592-9494. He is Glenn Mack now. I am Mike Sealski. This is WIP. What we're watching is sponsored by Guided Door and Window. Receive 20% off all windows and doors with no money down, up to three years to pay it off. Interest-free call Guided Door and Window today at one 877 or visit them at go, G-U-I-D-A.com. All right, Mike Sealski. All right, Glenn Mack now. Uh, so as you just heard from the trailer, this is a 110-minute movie about a shoe deal. I'm in. <laughs> I, I imagine everybody has seen the ads or the previews. They're kind of all over the place. It is a dramatic movie based on Nike signing Michael Jordan to that landmark deal in 1984 and really changing the landscape of what shoes and endorsements and the NBA yeah. and all, all of it really means. It is not a movie about basketball. Uh, at all. The only basketball you see are grainy clips of Michael Jordan hitting the shot to win the NCAA title game. If, if I'm Correct me if I'm wrong, Glenn, because mm-hmm. I haven't seen the movie. They don't have an actor play Michael Jordan. I'm going to get to that. Okay. It's, that's an interesting thing. Okay. Um, it's a movie about how the sausage is made. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, you heard it compared to Social Network. Yeah. And I think that how Facebook was built. And I think that's a good comparison. Here's the setup. Matt Damon plays Sonny Vaccaro, who was a lot of things. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, in the movie, he's the visionary talent scout who worked for Nike in the 1980s. Sonny Vaccaro has a lot of other things that are not brought up in the movie. He's, he's very antiseptically washed, which yeah. could, you know, it may ruin the movie for some people. Because Sonny did a lot of things. He well, did some things. Yeah. Okay. Did some things. Yeah. Anyway, his job is to help decide who among the players... In the 1984 draft, Nike is going to get to endorse its shoes. That that was a legendary draft. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. And he's fighting others at the company who want to spread. That's their budget, 250000 That's their entire budget for this. Uh, among Mel Turpin and Sam Perkins <laughs> and Otis Thorpe. You're right. Like, oh, Mel Turpin, I think he's got it. Oh, he's my be gosh. Good. Right. Poor Mel Turpin is out there somewhere going to see this movie. I, I was thinking exactly <laughs> the same. Right, right. And he's, he's, a, pl- he's a, a joke line. Um and Charles Barkley, by the way, is dismissed. Like, no, he's a bad presence in the locker room, and nobody's going to want to see that guy on TV. <laughs> That's so, great. John That's Stockton great. is dismissed because whoever heard of Gonzaga? Oh, my God. Okay. All these inside jokes. That's great. That all work now. So Vaccaro senses Jordan is going to be the future of basketball. He sees it. So he's got to convince Phil Knight, who is played very goofily by Ben Affleck. Mm. Phil Knight is kind of goofy. Yeah, well. In fairness. He's all goof in yeah. this thing. Uh, he's got to convince him to go in, and Affleck, by the way, directs the movie. And he's also got to convince Jordan's agent, uh, David Falk, played by a scenery-chewing guy named Chris Messina, who I've seen before, but I couldn't tell you, uh, to go in with Nike, which was back then kind of the minor league company Compared to Adidas and Reebok, they were the Nike reps when that company started would drive around to neighborhoods and cities around the country and sell sneakers out of the trunks of their cars. Yeah, they were the scrappy underdogs. Yeah. at the time, uh, and he's also got to convince Michael Jordan's mother, played by Viola Davis, who, by the way, is the best character in the movie. This is your 2023 Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress. Wow, Viola Davis was great. She's awesome in everything. And she as is. Jordan's mother, she's good. And by the way, I read that. Michael Jordan did not ask for creative control in the movie other than he wanted Viola Davis to play his mother. That's, that that's was his cool. only request. That's cool. Well done. Yeah. 
So that's it. That's the plot line. And um, as you said, if you're going to make a movie about Michael Jordan and shoes, how do you portray Michael Jordan? Answer, you don't. Right. Um, they they figured, I think, trying to get any person to play him would distract and hurt the credibility of the movie because that's all you'd be looking at. And so they get a, a tall guy to occasionally like stand on the corner of the screen and not say anything. So you see, like you see him from the back, but you never really see him. Yeah, I, I just to inter- interject here, that was one of the reasons, even though he ended up getting nominated for an Academy Award for his performance, that was one of the reasons I didn't like Will Smith as Muhammad Ali. was because Muhammad Ali is such a familiar person. Yeah, how do you that, do it? How do you do it? Yeah. All you see is Will Smith trying to be Muhammad Ali. Yeah, so they didn't, and and it works. It's It was the right thing to do. I mean, you do see highlights of Jordan playing, as I said, but there's no dramatic character who does him. I highly recommend this movie. I really liked it. I've never been a shoe guy personally. I was like in my mid twenties when the mm-hmm. whole shoe thing exploded, and I think I was a little bit too old of it. I, I mean, as you can see by the way, I normally dress like I don't care. No, <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> so I was not the person saving up the week's paycheck to go buy the latest model Air Jordans. But the movie is really intriguing. It's um, it's well done. It's funny at times. It's dramatic. You end up rooting for characters. Air is the name of the movie. Uh, Ben Affleck is the director. Matt Damon stars. Jason Bateman is in it. I had Viola Davis Mm -hmm. is in it. It's got got a great cast. Really good cast. And uh, go see it in the theater. Air, I give it uh, three and a half stars. All right. I I do want to see it. I just haven't gotten the chance to uh, head out there and get to the theater yet. So um, that's that's great. That's that's good to know. So uh, we have someone on the line here actually wants to – someone of some uh, note and – Repute, who wants to uh, weigh in on the Sixers Arena question, and it is a uh, former mayoral candidate, almost mayor, uh, familiar name to uh, anyone who's been in and around Philadelphia over the last, gosh, what, quarter to half century. Uh, Sam Katz joins us. Hi, Sam. Quarter to a half century? Don't you think? Am I, I, I gave you a pretty <laughs> wide berth there, Sam. Yes. Thank you, Mike. Hey. Uh, Good morning or good afternoon, guys. I appreciate you taking my call. I've been listening um, and read the paper this morning, obviously. Uh, And I just wanted to make a couple of quick comments um, about this arena project. Number one, uh, it has been sold as a privately financed uh, project, meaning the public will not have to subsidize it. And I just want to quickly tell you that in 1993, as the uh, Spectrum 2, now Wells Fargo Center, was being financed, uh, the critical part of it was that both teams were going to be in the building. And Harold Katz, owner of the 76ers at the time, and Ed Snyder had a handshake. And then Harold announced he was going to Camden. Yeah, yeah. And within 24 hours, the private financing fell apart. It was being led by PNC Bank. Um, the idea, and that, by the way, that building cost $160 million dollars. Not 1.4 billion or 5 billion. Yeah. The idea that you could privately finance an arena at that price is so ridiculous. So the question I have for David Edelman and the 76ers is how much public money is it going to be is going to be necessary to make this project work? Comparing it to cities like Los Angeles and New York. By the way, New York has four arenas. And only one of them is successful, and that's Madison Square Garden. Why? Two teams. Uh, the UBS Center has the Islanders. The Barclays Center has the Nets. 
and whatever they call the building in the in, in Newark has the devils. Mm-hmm. And they all functioned marginally or at a loss. In fact, I think in 2022, the combined ownership of the Brooklyn Nets and the Barclays Center lost $75 million. When the question is put forward to the public, the question that hasn't been asked and certainly hasn't been answered is where is the rest of the money going to come from? Billionaires don't tend to make investments that lose money. And this, pros- this the prospect of 110 events in a $1.5 billion, a $1.5 billion building is certainly a money loser. And it can't happen without both state and or other septic support. The city, obviously, they said the city will not be asked for money, which is good because the city doesn't have any. Well, can I let me weigh but, in on something just in terms of, of terms of the city money at minimum. At minimum, isn't it going to require a huge investment in infrastructure down there? The city at a will minimum, be, yes. Yeah, that the city will. I mean, this this uh, and and I agree with your premise, but uh, kind of adding to it, even if Edelman, even if they say, "Hey, we can do this on our own," they're not going to rebuild the subway down there. They're not going to rebuild the on and off ramps. All of the stuff that the city would have to do that would be, or maybe the state gets involved. You get federal money. I don't know, but there's going to have to be a lot of tax money beyond the arena just to surround the arena. Well, and I'm assuming that all of those ancillary costs are built into the cost of the project. And I don't know that because obviously the Sixers haven't disclosed any of that. But if you think about how complicated the site is uh, and how much disruption, the fact that you would be building only at night, which is double time for most of the construction trades, I just don't understand how you can get this far without answering a fundamental question, which is how are you going to pay for it? And the answer is they can't. So, and so by getting us all a little bit enthusiastic, maybe passing a few ordinances, getting some other civic actions taken by the city, we get down this road to a point where we're so, well, we're dating, now we're getting married. And we don't really find out that our, that our future uh, partner is going to need a half a billion to three quarters of a billion dollars of our money. <laughs> So, Sam, let me play devil's advocate here. Um, I would imagine that people on the opposite side of where you come down on this would say, okay, something has to be done, though, about the Market East area, that Philadelphia is a donut, and that's the hole, and we need to fill that hole. So what, what do you say to that? Well, then the question becomes, if something needs to be done, not an arguable fact, is there only one choice? Is this the only thing we could do? Is this the only option available to Philadelphia? And do we, you, I know that Jeff Gamage's article originally was sort of raising the question, do we need another arena? Do we need two? Uh, and, and can we exceeding market in Philadelphia? There are already three buildings. This is not a corporate intensive environment. Selling naming rights, selling all the advertising, it works when you have 230 events, 250 events in your building, but the discount that those organizations buying those rights will pay for half that number of events, half that number of television coverage, is going to make the building unfinanceable. And the 76ers have simply been unwilling to either talk to us about it or they're denying it and hoping that this will not be something anybody raises. Right. And when I heard Glenn say that he liked, he wished he was still covering sports business, I called. I appreciate that. <laughs> thank you. So I, la- last I, question for me, and thank you, because 
I am not as in touch with these details as I used to be. What would be if the Sixers said, well, here's here, what well, asked you, I guess, what should we do? Do you think they would be wise to take up Hilferty on the offer of, hey, we'll co-own the Wells Fargo? What would be the smart move by the Sixers? Well, let's go back to how we got to the South Philadelphia Sports Complex, which was both the Lincoln Financial Field and Citizens Bank Park each got $200 million in public subsidy. And in order for the state, state government to do that, they had to subsidize Heinz Field and PNC Park in Pittsburgh, and they had to subsidize minor league stadiums all over the state. And a, couple, a billion dollars was spent on sports facilities. The politics of the day don't make that possible. So the question of coming back to South Philly and maybe envisioning something for the point in time when this building expires after having just invested $400 million would be a great thing. I mean, we've put so much emphasis and money into the sports complex. This mm-hmm. is the unraveling of the sports complex. And I didn't find Edelman's tweet to be particularly persuasive uh, because this is what the city decided to do 30 years ago, to create a sports and entertainment district that would be easily accessible through public transit and via vehicular transit. And that quality certainly exists at a Sep- at Jefferson Station in Market East, but the parking issue is a nightmare. So I just think there's an opportunity to envision something in South Philadelphia that could rival the vision that the Sixers have put out here without the risk of failing to generate either the attendance or the events, and therefore not, not needing public money. Sam, last one for me. You started our conversation by referencing Harold Katz's threat to move the Sixers to Camden back in 1993. If the Market East project falls through, uh, for whatever reason, the, the upcoming mayoral election, anything, do you foresee the Sixers making a similar threat? Well, first of all, just to remind you, it wasn't a threat. He actually had a deal with Governor Whitman. That's right. And they were going to build a Camden arena, and the state of New Jersey was going to subsidize it. Uh, I think earlier in the process, David was quoted as saying that he looked at all the sites. I don't know what those sites were, but let's assume they're the same ones that the baseball stadiums looked at. Uh, Over the tracks in 30th Street, uh, obviously we're in Chinatown already, or South Philadelphia. But Camden is an option. And the state of New Jersey, with all of the troubles in South Jersey, seems to me politically to have a much more likely potential for public subsidy than the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. So I do think Camden or our South Jersey is an option, although the Edelman's statements about being committed to the city, I take at face value, and I believe him. But he may not have any options. Sam Katz, thank you so day, much guys. for wearing hey, in. Hey, Sam. Appreciate, Appreciate it, it, pal. Much. Really Talk interesting. Yeah, yeah, really interesting right. stuff. He's plugged in. He knows, he knows all this stuff. Yeah, he does. He, he absolutely knows what's going on. So... Um, Andy, hang in there. We will get you in our final segment. Uh, Glenn's going to take us out to the break here, I think, and uh, we'll be back in a bit. I am, 215-592-9494. Also coming up, what we forgot to talk about with Dan Wilson. Some good fantasy baseball stuff in that, I imagine. Oh, I'm already on the way out the door. Hey, are you tired of dealing with those old inefficient windows in your house? Maybe it's time to go Gaida. How about that drafty, beat-up-looking entry door that you've painted over more times you can count? Well, go Gaida. If you need added protection from the elements with a new storm door, go Gaida. And what about that sliding patio door, the garage door you've been meaning to replace? 
Go Guider. Whatever your home improvement needs are, I suggest you go Guider with the great people at Guider Door and Window. Now, to help get your project started, Guider is offering 20% off all windows and doors while allowing you to start your project with no money down and up to three full years to pay it off interest-free. That's right. Receive 20% instant savings with the luxury of paying off your project interest-free for up to 36 months. Restrictions apply. Offers for a limited time. So what are you waiting for? It's time you finally go Guida. Call today. Schedule a free in-home estimate at one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com. From the Augusta National Golf Club, Westwood One Sports presents this special report on the Masters. I'm Ted Emmerich. With the second round suspended Friday afternoon, Fred Couples had all night to think about how he'd play 18 to try to make the cut and make history. Couples returned this morning, made bogey, and at 63 years, six months, and five days old, Couples is the oldest player to ever make the cut at the Masters. He'll return to the chill and the rain a bit later for the third round. You would think if it stays like this, I'm not being an idiot, but there's going to be a bogey in every group just because it's so hard and, and the par fives now are difficult. So, you know, it is what it is. Am I going to look thrilled to play 18 holes in this this afternoon? No. I'm a wimp. You know, I'm an old wimp, but I'm excited to play. And, you know, I don't wear gloves. So I, I've got a couple hours to try and figure out what I'm going to try and do if, if it stays like this all day long. Couples won the Masters in 1992. He is one over par, 13 off the lead. Couples tees off later this hour. You're listening to coverage of the 2023 Masters on Westwood One. If you have ever thought about remodeling your bathroom but were worried it would take too long or cost too much, then stop worrying. Right now, Jacuzzi Bath Remodel has designed a collection of high-quality custom products and perfected the one-day remodeling experience so you can enjoy your new bathroom faster than ever before. It's a worry-free bath remodel from the most trusted brand name in the business, Jacuzzi. For a virtual or in-home appointment, call 800-826-9895. That's 800-826-9895. 800-826-9895. If you have ever thought about remodeling your bathroom but were worried it would take too long or cost too much, then stop worrying. Right now, Jacuzzi Bath Remodel has designed a collection of high-quality custom products and perfected the one-day remodeling experience so you can enjoy your new bathroom faster than ever before. It's a worry-free bath remodel from the most trusted brand name in the business, Jacuzzi. For a virtual or in-home appointment, call 800-826-9895. That's 800-826-9895. 800-826-9895. Forty-nine degrees at Augusta National. We should have rain all afternoon for the third round. So we've got threesomes teeing off at the first and the tenth to speed things along just in case we have a delay. Let's check the leaderboard sponsored by Dell. For your small business needs, call a Dell Technologies advisor today at 877-ASK-DELL. Brooks Kepka has been a machine the first two days. He leads at 12 under par. John Rahm at 10 under. First time in Masters history there have been two players in double figures after 36 holes. Rahm two back. Texas A&M senior Sam Bennett eight under. Those three, Kepka, Rahm, and Bennett tee off early next hour. Tiger Woods just made the cut at three over despite bogeys at 17 and 18 this morning. The 23rd consecutive made cut for Woods at the Masters. From Augusta, I'm Ted Emmerich, Westwood One Sports. WIP, Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now closing out the show here in a couple of minutes. Uh, Go Birds Radio with Rob Ellis and Elliot Shore Parks coming up at 1 o'clock. Speaking of the birds, let's go to Nick in Collegeville. He wants to weigh in on 
Glenn's ridiculous idea about drafting Bijan John Robinson. No, no, I, 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 didn't say, I didn't say that to Dan. And I want to make two quick points. <laughs> Go ahead, before, Nick. Before I get to the running back, listen, I, I found this this week's episode, Saturday's, you know, today's uh, show great. It, it was great to hear some from some really important, powerful people in Philadelphia. But I got to say now at the end, like I need these guys to, to be adults and work it out and talk about it. And the last thing is, like, just because we did something thirty for 30 years, like Kat said, Mr. Kat said, that doesn't mean it's right and we should stay that way. And and just like we should move something to Center City isn't also right. We should just talk about it. It's adult. It's 2023 now. Mm-hmm. So, first thing, Bijan, Bijan, Bijan. Does it have to be a 10? I mean, can we discuss Bijan later in the first round? Like, I don't want him at number 10. How late you think it'll last? How, how late you, you how late do you think? I, I don't know. Is he going to be there what? if you trade down to fifteen, sixteen? Would you do it at that I point? I think so. At that point, I will consider it. Um, but, and I understand your point, Glenn. Like you don't want another offensive lineman because he's got to sit and he's going to be drafted in the top ten. You don't want another, you know, maybe defensive tackle because you have too much invested in, in DT right now. But, but I can't do like you and Ike are going like ten, number ten. I, I can't do him at ten. Like okay. I can't even think uh, about that. I hear you. Gotcha. I, I, Thanks, I, Nick. Yeah. Thanks. I, I hear that. Yeah. Uh, Andy doesn't in, in Huntington Valley doesn't really care about who the NBA MVP <laughs> is. Am I right about that, Andy? Absolutely. Hey, Glenn, how are you? Hey, great, Andy. Nice to hear from you. Yeah. So, you know, what's more important, MVP or winning a championship? I what agree. Does, I... does does having the accolade of I'm the MVP and you're sitting home again after round two of the playoffs mean anything? They make way too much out of this. I, I... mean. Thoroughly you know, agree. Here's the thing, Andy, and and thanks so much. We got to let you go because we're we're almost through here. I think, Glenn. Yes. That it's not primarily Joel Embiid, although he wants to win the award, who really would feel slighted if he didn't get it. I think it's people in Philadelphia. I think it's Sixers fans. I think it's kind of both. I think he he's 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 discussed it a little more. Yeah. Than I, he's conscious of it more than I wish he was. Yeah, but I do think there's an undercurrent of people who follow the team and love Embiid saying, "Why don't they pick our guy?" There is the they don't like us. Yeah, and we care. Yeah, oh, <laughs> more than anything. Oh, more than anything. Everybody hates us and we don't care. Or nobody was nobody likes us. Nobody likes care. us and we don't care except yeah. we do. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I love Jason Kelsey. It was a tremendous moment in history. It's not true. No, not at all true. Dan Wilson, what did we forget to talk about? Got a few things here as we wrap up the first well, first week and a half, I will say, of the Major League Baseball season. Uh, we've seen the rule changes get put into effect here love. now during the regular season. There's been largely positive reviews on the pitch clock. Uh, I was up at Yankee Stadium the other day uh, for the Ooh, day game, nice. and it was an electric moment watching Nick Castellanos get a full count walk on a pitch count <laughs> violation. I had never seen anything like that. Like, yeah, literally the weird. clock expired, yeah. and then he ran to first base. Also, yesterday, here's something I didn't even think about. The Phillies fans counting down the clock to try and get in Hunter Green's head. That's really good. Uh, like, I like that. It felt like a high school gym. That's like I think great. they should. I think they should count a few seconds ahead to get them to fire the pitch off too soon. I like like that. the end of a shot clock or yeah, something like that. That's good. So yeah. we, we've seen a lot there. Uh, but Glenn, I have an update here uh, on your bet with Jody, and of course the bet is you need to see steals increase by ten percent. Correct. Early returns in your favor. They're up twelve percent within the first week from where they were a year ago, and attempts are up sixty-seven percent. Wait, wait, wait. Attempts are up sixty-seven percent, but stolen bases only twelve successfully. A lot of guys getting thrown, thrown out. out. Yeah. Wow. All right. Twelve is a little closer than I want. I want to win that bet going away. I I 
I enjoy the lead. Mm-hmm. Jody and I have the stupid baseball bet. There's going to be a dinner involved. You got to stay focused, Glenn. Yeah, I need a little more stealing. You, you got to close this out. They got to they got to sit real muto and play. Garrett Stubbs. <laughs> but <laughs> as you were saying, though, Jody, I was producing him earlier this week, did seem to waver a little bit on his take. I think he's sensing. Yeah, I think he's, he's not a as strong about about it. It. Uh, yeah. but and, the, and by the way, the big part of that, I think, to me, is the uh, rules on the disengagement. I, I just hate that word. But mm-hmm. how many times the pitcher can throw to first? I think that's it. Because if you're a base runner and you can make him throw over twice, after that, baby, Yeah, I'm taking off. Get a walk and lead? Yeah. Oh, get one of those Ricky Henderson kind I, of leads. I should just clarify, by the way, I don't know how you're factoring the percentage, but I'm talking about the success rate. So at this point last year, 61 stolen bases on 89 attempts. This point this year, 124 stolen bases oh, on 154 no, attempts. Oh, wait, last year there were 61, now there's 124? But I, I, I My was boy, how did you do in math? 12% on success rate. No, it's way it's uh, it's not it's the number of stolen bases. So last year it was sixty one. I left out success rate. I just wanted to clarify that. Hey, man. You're, you're you're cruising. I'm, I'm, you're cruising. I gotta start looking at the menu. It's mercy rule time. They gotta start the running clock. Right there, you go. Are the producers getting in on that dinner too? By the way, well, hey, just back <laughs> off, okay? You you got a meal at Ralph's coming to you. Well, this one's gonna be courtesy weeks. of Jody. It's not even you. Uh, yeah, we are. We're going to Ralph's next week. That oh, I love Ralph's. Yeah. Okay. What so, else? We so got? I think you got that bet in the bag, or it's looking like with Jody. Yeah. Uh, a cool story in the athletic this week for Matt Gelb. So on Sunday, Easter Sunday, tomorrow, uh, before the day game, the series finale with the Cincinnati Reds, uh, the Phillies will be receiving their National League championship rings. Uh, of course, not all the players will be in attendance who are on that team, but 63 players will be receiving rings to indicate the 63 players what? who sent who spent a singular day on the Phillies Major League roster a year ago. That includes guys who didn't even get in, relievers who were on the roster for those two days in Toronto for vaccination That's issues. That's the interesting thing. Say, Explain that yeah. because I forgot about that. So remember, there were guys who were not vaccinated to go to Toronto last year. Right. So there were quite literally guys who spent two days on the Major League roster just because they were vaccinated and were never utilized. Scott Kingery played one defensive inning in Milwaukee. He's getting a ring. Like, that's how they're doing this. Dave Dombrowski and John Middleton apparently decided this past offseason, anyone who spent a singular day on the roster will be getting a ring. There's a cool story that highlights some of some guys who didn't think they'd ever hear from the Phillies again, and they're, yeah. like, asking for ring sizing. Really cool, I think. Uh, I'm good with that. What about you? Yeah, look. Is, if, is if, it cheap in it, or is it uh, an act of generosity? I, I think you can look at it both ways. I think it's generous by John Middleton. It probably cheapens it for guys like Harper and Real Muto and Hoskins, who were the real contributors and the reasons that the Phillies won the National League pennant. So, you know, a little bit of both. It depends on how those guys look at it. If they're happy to have Scott Kingery get a ring – uh, for playing one defensive inning in one game, then fine by me. By the way, my prediction is Scott Kingery will be back on this team within two weeks. I think you might be right. About Sorry, that. Roger Clemens. You know he's not Co- cur- Cody. Cody Clemens. No, I'm talking to the dad. Ah. <laughs> Scott Kingery, by the way, though, not currently on the 40-man roster. That's true. So they would have to, you know, trade someone, DFA someone. Sorry, someone like that. Christian Pache. <laughs> if he keeps hitting home runs down at Lehigh Valley, he'll be up here. Kingery. Pache keeps getting up with men on base and looks. He's not a major league. No. And then real not. real quick, do you guys have any interest or what is your interest level? Uh, any favorites in the Masters? Tiger Woods ties the record for 23 straight-made cuts at Augusta and currently Brooks Kepka uh, in the lead. After they had to finish the delayed round uh, this morning, uh, he set the tee off a little bit after we get off the air here. I just don't want any more trees to fall and threaten people's wow, lives. Wow, that was a thing. Uh, I, to be honest with you, am rooting for guys who didn't sell out to the Saudis. 
So I don't want Kepka to win. I'll I'll go Rom. Non live golfers. Right. Rom is second place, right? Yes. I'm for him. Yeah. I, I kind of feel the same way. They tee off at 106. Cool. Yeah, I'll be home and watch. There you go. Is that how you're spending your afternoon? I am. I got a little writing I need to do. I got to start planning. And if, uh, if I may indulge for a second, sure. uh, we're putting out a Fransky in L.A. charity oh. beer, Golden Ale, with oh. Scott and Larry and the Philadelphia Youth Sports Alliance as the big charity. I have an event I need to plan for June the 8th. At one of our breweries, which is going to be open to all the public and a lot of fun and raise some charity money. So I'm planning some of that today, including cool. Mike Sealski will be there selling his books, even if he doesn't know it yet. That's I will be there. I'm, I'm actually prepping for a couple of events, too, um, one of which is Monday night at the Philadelphia Free Library. I'm going to be hosting a Q&A with uh, author Jennifer Senior, who won the Pulitzer Prize last year for yeah. feature writing yeah. and has written a book about uh, a high school classmate of mine named Bobby McElvain. The book yes. is called On Grief. Uh, Jennifer and I are going to be talking about Bobby and her book uh, from 7 to 8 p.m. Monday at the Free Library. The event is free, so if you're around and available, I encourage people to come. Uh, it's a great, great book. Jennifer is an incredible writer. Going to be a look great at you. Night. You're Mr. MC. Trying, trying, man. The Maccabee <laughs> Hall of Fame thing the other night. I'm bouncing all around. Good for you. You know. Um, thanks to Dan Wilson. Thank you to Dan Hilferty. Thank you to Sam Katz. Thank you to Kyle Newbeck. Thank you to my partner, Glenn Mack. Now, I am Mike Sealski. This is 94 WIP. Enjoy your day, folks. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.